Fragile eggshell mind. <laughs> what is that? For? Oh, is that like the doors the or doors, something? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You are a music nerd then. Yeah. Well, I, thanks to this guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, my parents, um, that was my dad's. My mom is like steady getting rid of all the shit that my dad left around. My dad was a, mm -hmm. my dad is like a collector, right? I mean, I'm a collector. I'm not a hoarder. My wife would, would beg to differ and say that I'm a, I'm a hoarder, not a. Few people can understand that distinction between the two. <laughs> right. I think a hoarder is somebody who keeps things of no value. Whereas I feel in, in like legit, like I know something's not worth something. And, and you know, someone can logically tell me like, Hey, you know, that's not worth anything. Right. Yeah, I get it. You know, if it's got an emotional attachment to something that I, that I do, that's, that's totally different, but I try not to get hung up on that shit. Um, but I do like, I've always wanted to have a room like this, like in yeah. my, my, that's going to eventually be the podcast to do with, uh, with the light on air light. Yep. On air. And I bought those, those weird couches. Cause I, those are my two favorite colors. Uh huh. And I'm going to do the whole back wall. I was at a, um, I saw an ad in uh, Facebook Marketplace, and this lady was selling uh, gasket boards, the old school drag specialties ones with the old school drag specialties logos, like a pan head, knuckle head, oh, wow. shovel head, and an iron head, like the, the gasket boards, yeah. right? So I go over there, and there's some, I don't know, there's something charming about. That was down here? It was down here. I can't believe it survived. Yeah. Well, it didn't. That's why I don't have them. A woman who is that exists in that world. There's like a, a, a ruggedness to her where she's, you know, she's a little sketchy, you know, and she, even the ones the, the, this woman didn't have any indication of any drugs or any kind of weirdness, but you could just tell that her life was driven by motorcycles and her husband, her husband had worked down here at a big shop in Tampa for years. I didn't know who he was. He'd been dead since like 2010 or something. He, I don't remember, even remember how he died, but so I go over to his house and his garage is near empty but um, you could tell that it was a biker's garage. There was like, you know, little bits and pieces hanging here and there. And they had the, you know, where the tools hung on the wall. And you could see the tools were gone. I mean, like all his biker friends had definitely come in and scoured all the good shit. Yeah. Well, so the, had, she had these, uh, she's like, I got these boards. You know, she's smoking a cigarette and she's got her house shoes on. She's like this skinny white chick. She's like, you know, almost 60, kind of, you know, one of them kind of deals. And I'm looking around, I'm like, was your, did your husband like work on, mo I mean, it looked like a shop, but it was behind her house, which is real common down here. Mm -hmm. Drives me fucking crazy because I think you should have to pay rent and have a real business. You're doing and, it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And so um, I'm like, what's, I, this looks like a motorcycle shop. And she's like, yeah, well, my husband worked over at um, Thunder Bay, which is the big, like old school. It's the Stevenson cycle kind of shop that's, but it's in Tampa okay. and, uh, and it's still there. And she's like, yeah, he worked for him for a lot of years, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, this is really all I have left. And, you know, and she goes, and I don't need him. And so I, I fucking bought him because I went there and she needed the $65 more than I needed the 65 sure. bucks. Right. Sure. But all the edges of the, of the old boards were chewed at by rats. So I ended up bringing him back to the shop and I gave him to my buddy, Eric at FNA cycles. Cause he's into old shit and he'll, you know, he'll cut the edges off and, yeah. and make it look nice. But while I was there, I'm like, do you have any, do, are there any tools left or I'm looking for like a weird gyms tool like that presses out the, the main shaft and the counter shaft from a tapered five speed, you know, one of them trapezoid weird ones or just some kind of kinky fucking tool that this lady maybe still has left over. She goes, the only thing I got left are these. And it's like giant boxes of easy riders. Oh. I'm like, what do you want for those? And she was like, uh, I'll, I'll take, take 
yeah, I'm like, I want them. And she's like, I don't know. Make me an offer. I'm like, look, these gasket boards aren't worth shit. I got 80 bucks in my pocket. I'll give you 80 bucks if you give me all the easy riders and I'll take the gasket boards. She's like, done. So she helps me carry them off to my truck. I get back to the shop. I look, I got every single one of them. I even have the original, like the very first easy rider from 1971, I think it is or something. But they were all, this dude worked in a motorcycle shop. So what they used to do with mo- with magazines, I don't know if you know this or not, but they would send you magazines like you would, you would, if you had a shop, they would send you, they'd say, how many do you want? And they'd send you maybe 10, right? So they'd send you 10 and then they'd bill you for 10. Well, if you only sold eight, then you took the, the other two, you'd cut the corner, the UPC code off or the corner off of the, the magazine and you'd mail the corner back in with a check for eight, not 10. Ah. Well, so the easy rider that I have this from 71 and a bunch of others are missing the little corner, which I don't give a shit. That magazine doesn't even exist anymore now. Yeah. And, you know, they have, a, they have a new one. I don't know if you saw that or not. No, no, they, re, they reincarnated it. Yeah, so I guess some French-Canadian dudes bought it. They were going to turn it into an affliction clothing co- company. And so the magazine, they just printed, they're going to print it quarterly. And the new one has got Norm Reedus in it, and there's no tits in it. Really? Yeah. Dude, if I, if I had to pay like $8 for a magazine like they do now, and Norm Reedus was in it, I'd be terribly upset. Well, if I pay extra, can I get tits? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And it's funny, because like where I came from, like, you know, my introduction to everything custom and, you know, stock not being good enough and just all that interest, like, you know, that was pre-internet. You know, it's the age that we are. Right. So, you know, the magazine culture, like, you know, going to a magazine store uh, and, and stocking up, like, that was your, that was your connection. That was your pipeline to the industries. You know, whatever, whatever it was, mini trucking, low riders for, for me right. <laughs> personally. But, um, you know, what, whatever it was, and that ultimately uh, led into to motorcycles for me. And that's, I, I purchased Easy Riders off the newsstand. Like I wasn't on websites and forums looking at stuff like, no, I bought, you know, and that was right there at the end of the nineties and into the two thousands. That was, you know, you were witnessing right there was the, you know, the beginning of the death of the magazine with, as every website popped up. Well, the funny thing, before we go any further, I should probably introduce you, right? So you You do it in post, fix it in post. (laughs) Yeah. Just fix it in post. Yeah. No. So, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher your fucking name because it's a, it's a, it's a Polish name, I assume, right? Yeah. Yep. And so- is it Maleski? That's see, that's the original pronounce. Or I'm sorry, in Poland it's pronounced Milewski because, Milewski, because yes, W's okay. are F's. Uh, when like my dad was growing up in Hamtramck, you know everybody he was called Maleski, uh, and that was like you know the 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 first American you know butchering iteration of it. of it. And then you know now it's just Maluski. Maluski. Okay, yeah. so I'm with Brendan Maluski, good and somebody that I've known for I've known you I've, well. Chopper Dogs. Yeah, so you're a Chopper. What was your screen name on Chopper Dogs? <laughs> Lucky 13. That's ironic. Yeah, yeah, it sure is considering uh, <laughs> yeah, everything, how, how unlucky 13 ended up being for me. But uh, yeah, I actually had the 13 tattoo, uh, you know, a good 10 years before the, uh, the my luck would come to bite me in the ass too. So, well, you know what, man? I, I, I have a very different, I just have a very um, odd look at maybe what that is. And, and what he's talking about is obviously you want to, why don't we just start with, let's start there and, and then get, get, we'll go back to, there's a couple of things I want to go back to that you mentioned, but let's start. I met you on Chopper Dogs. I started in Chopper Dogs. Uh, I started lurking in 06. Okay. I was a member, full-fledged member in 07, where meaning that I paid $20 a month to be on a board with a bunch of people that yeah, would yeah. just make fun of me and rip on me and, and give me shit. But 
uh, and people that listen to this podcast hear me talk about it all the time. And any podcast that I'm on, Chopper Dogs changed. It completely changed the arc of my entire existence. Um, and that's so, so that's, that's so cool to me. That's where I that's where I met you. Yeah. And we, we actually met face to face in '06 when I was over at working with Eric at Voodoo Choppers. But why don't you go ahead and and, and tell your tell your story of how we you know the Lucky Thirteen thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I just uh, you know, uh, I, I've I've kind of always been like you know if you're if you're on if, if you're on a ride to Chicago with you know seventy dudes in a line, I'm gonna be the dude that breaks down, man. I, it's, it's you know I'm gonna get a vapor lock. I'm gonna get something in my car bowl. Um, it's going to be me, you know? So, uh, that's kind of, uh, everything I, I went through a stretch of, uh, in my life, uh, my early twenties where everything I touched broke, uh, <laughs> and I'm not just talking about motorized toys here. Uh, but, um, so that's kind of where, you know, whatever I just, you know, adopted that thing. And then the whole parlay into the whole rockabilly thing, the clothing thing, uh, you know, lucky 13, it's everywhere. So that's kind of, you know, and the only reason I was really able to get that was because like, I was one of the OGs, man. I was like, I remember like, I, I, maybe by the time you, you joined the site, they didn't have member numbers. I don't know if you had one or not. No, I didn't have a member number. In fact, cause like I was like, uh, I, I want to say I was within 20. So like, I was like one of the, so very, you were very uh, early on. Like I, I, I remember, I can remember my introduction to West coast choppers was I was selling cars in Milford, uh, at Heinz park Ford and the finance manager, his name was Tom Mallet. He wrote up Road King. And I'll be honest with you. I, I, what year is this? This is um, 2000, I want to say 2000, it had to be 2001. Okay. So, because we just moved into the new the new facility. And um, I was the assistant to the general sales manager. And so, basically, I was the Dwight Schrute of the dealership. <laughs> <laughs> but so I was, uh, I was working in my office. I ordered all the cars and stuff. And Tom Mallard called me in his office. He's like, dude, check this out. And I guess motorcycle mania had just come out mm-hmm. and it was on, um, it was, it was on discovery channel and uh, he showed me the website. So I went back to my office and I type in West coast choppers and there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, uh, it it didn't it didn't pique my interest like straight out of the gate, and yeah, then yeah. I saw I mean, they like they kept it pretty elusive. There was a there was a forum, right? It was like I think over here in the top right corner, you could click like watch, you know, click on the camera shop or whatever. And they go to like it went to a paid site, mm-hmm. not a paywall. I'm like, I'm not paying fucking twenty dollars to. This is the dumbest thing. At that point in time, I can honestly say it was the dumbest thing I had ever been presented with up sure. to that point. But. I didn't know. I didn't have. I didn't have a member number. If you if you were like top twenty, the only other person I know that was on that early, Cody was number six. Okay. So I don't know if you know who Cody Childress is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but he was he was number six, and that came about because through a mutual friend of Jesse's that he knew, told him, "Hey, Jesse's gonna have this website. You should check it out." So he went on there and he just just signed up and he ended up being the sixth paid person on there. So you're probably within days of each other. I imagine that that picked up a lot of steam. It could have been hours at that point. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, the, um, in that, like the going back a little bit, like the, my first introduction to Jesse and West coast choppers and stuff came from easy riser, easy riders. I was, uh, at the time had my first bike, was a fat boy. And, um, I was, uh, I was looking for some paint ideas and uh, I was painting the tins and it was while well, flipping through a copy of Easy Riders that I first encountered Jesse James. Uh, they were doing a profile on I want to say it was his six uh, or um the Bracho bike, the El Bracho, yeah the, yeah, the purple bike with the cavalry sword. Yep, and the uh, the issue in particular, 
the all the all the photos of him and the bike were still in the raw. The bike hadn't had paint, you know. It was you know really yeah yeah yeah. It was all raw. And that's in an easy rider. Yeah, I bet you it's in that room. I'm gonna have to fucking dig that out. Yep, I can try to. I can try to <laughs> later, later on. We can work on dialing in the logistics of how yeah. tight where we can get the we can find <laughs> the, that one. But yeah, so that was that was my uh, my introduction. To, that's where I first saw him, and you know, was cognizant of what was going on, the things he was doing. And then uh, it wasn't until uh, you know, then then after that, um, you know, motorcycle mania. Shortly after that, uh, my dad's the one who was like, "Hey, man, you got to check this out." Uh, cause, uh, you know, my dad was into riding, was into bikes too. Um, yeah. Your dad was telling me he had a triumph. Yeah. Yeah. He had a, uh, 67 triumph, uh, 750, uh, I oh, was a 650 Bonneville. Bonneville. Oh, I'm, good thing he's here to correct me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, he, um, he didn't, uh, really get, uh, he didn't, he didn't pick up his chopper until I got into motorcycling as, you know, as an adult, um, you know. Uh, I have three older sisters. Um, my dad's yeah, a hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> you can just imagine the myriad of shit you had to go through with that at school and stuff. <laughs> uh, especially with my sisters, bro. Yeah, they, they really laid the path for me. But um, yeah, uh, it, it was kind of cool because as like you know, I became an adult, and um, it was really when I got on, on the fire department that like I started hanging around guys that were you know my dad's age. And here I am hanging out and riding motorcycles with these guys. And like, it just totally changed the dynamic of the relationship I had with my dad because, you know, here I am spending 24 hours in the firehouse with all these guys. And like, you know, it, it made me, it, it didn't take away that, you know, father figure that I had, but it just, you know, it, it as, as an adult, it just put me in a perspective to where like, you know, me and my dad, he wasn't appreciate. full of shit. Yeah. 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 He actually, I knew a couple of things. <laughs> I actually agreed with a couple of things he had to say. Right. Of. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it was cool that, you know, we were able to culminate that as, uh, as I got into, you know, motorcycles that we were able to do that together. And we were able to, you know, to, to, to put some miles on together and have some trips and some memories and some crazy stories of our own. You know, I didn't get, um, <clears throat> I didn't get to be as good of friends with my dad either until after I started riding. That was definitely, that was the, the, the jump point, the jump off point from that. I mean, I had done prior to being into, um, because my dad also had triumphs. So when I was growing up, when I was a little kid, my dad built bikes at the house in the living room, like all that shit. We lived in we lived in Detroit. Uh, we lived in Brightmore. Okay. So we lived. I was going to say east uh, or west. Let's let's clarify. Here. Yeah, we, we west of I'm definitely a west side till I die guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived on uh, Outer Drive and Fielding there. Right. We can at, have a knife fight after this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm an east sider. <laughs> People, you know, I try to explain that to people down here and they don't, they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, there's an east side and a west side. And generally you don't, the two. You could live there your entire life and, and not never go there. It's 144 square mile city, man. People don't get that. 144 square miles is huge. Well, not only that, but it's also grid too. Yeah. We're here. If there was an alligator in the road, they went around it. Like it's not, it's a very different, and I love it down here, but it's, it's just what I'm used to and, and what I what I have are two very different things. But so my dad built motorcycles in our, in our living room and then in our garage. And I always grew up around motorcycles. And the last thing I wanted to do was to follow my dad's footsteps, excuse me, with the motorcycle deal. And so I started drag racing and that was like, that was it for me was going and drag racing. We would, we would, you're a Mustang guy, right? Yeah. I was a Mustang guy. I had, I had other cars too, but my, you know, by and large, most, I was mostly a Mustang guy. And, um, I got my Mustang done in 01 and I went to the track and, uh, my dad went with me and I got kicked out of the track for going too fast without having a license. And then it, that sport went from 
being something anybody could do to something that only rich people could do at any kind of level at all. And I was tired of racing somebody's wallet. Sure. I'm not, I'm not a, uh, I'm a, t- I'm an individual sports guy. Like I, I, you know what I mean? I was a BMX percent on the same team. I was a BMX kid when I was growing Ironically, up. Ironically on the same team of an individual sports guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, 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 I'll be on a team with somebody, but I'm doing my shit. You do your shit. Like, leave me alone. Like I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to fall down because you tripped. Sure. You understand what I'm saying? So I, was into the that was individual enough, and then I just got tired of it. it. It got to be it was work, and I had two little kids, and going to the drag strip was you know getting off work early, loading up the truck, loading up the trailer, making lunches, doing all this stuff, getting up at six o'clock in the morning, driving to the track, and then you know it's you'd a come lifestyle back, man, yeah, and you'd come back, you'd make five passes in a weekend mm-hmm. if you're lucky, and your kids are sitting there, and your wife's sitting there, and they'll they'll do it, and they're happy, they don't give a shit. The kid can play with a Barbie doll in your trailer just as easy as she can in her bedroom, but it just got to the point where I was like, I'm spending too much money. And the only person getting anything out of it is me. And I'm not even getting anything out of it anymore. So it was winter time. It was this time of year, actually in 2003, my dad was getting ready to go to Daytona. He was down there and he called me during bike week. And he's like, you wouldn't just fucking believe the stuff he's seen. Cause he had been kind of, he had never gone to Daytona. He had always been a local Detroit biker guy, you know? And, uh, I went to the Harley dealer and bought a Harley. While he was gone. So when he came back from Daytona Bike Week, I had bought a Harley, and next thing you know, I'm wearing hog vest and bandanas and Got patched in. Watching, yeah, I was watching Orange County Choppers. I'll admit that too. <laughs> I was more into Orange County. I, I didn't know who Jesse James really was at this point. I started watching Orange County Choppers with my dad, and we started riding together and going and doing things. And then, I mean, you know, until he passed away a year and a half ago, I mean, we worked together almost every single day for 15 years. And I don't know very many fathers and sons that could say that. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't, that's a gift. Oh yeah. Right. So, yeah. so that happened. And you might not understand it till you get home or, <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely a gift. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that was my foray into it. And then when I got into chopper dogs, it was because uh, my business partner, Evan, he was on the site and he would just go in and he would just go in and lurk. He would never post. He would never, I mean, he just looked at the bikes. And well, that's why I, I don't know that many people from that site, like you were saying, that, you know, that you guys are, you know, whatever, 15 years later, every, you know, you guys are still so tight. I don't know that many people will remember me or have much of, you know. Everybody I, will remember you once you tell what that, happened. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean. Because I, I remember when that happened. I remember Diva being, I mean, everybody was up in arms because of the situation that you were in. Uh, yeah, yeah. She was, uh, she was real sweet. Um, I remember, uh, in the, you know, especially in the infancy, uh, when I was, uh, you know, shortly after I got out of the hospital and was able to, you know, process looking at emails and stuff, uh, that, you know, she had reached out early on, um, Lena, uh, yep. I remember her as well. Um, maybe even Tim, uh, free flyer, but yeah, I was really, I don't even, I don't maybe. even know if he's alive anymore. Uh, yeah. I'd hate to because, speculate. <laughs> yeah, because he had, he had some problems. He had a, you know, he had a monkey on his back. Oh well, yeah. I, I saw it firsthand in the only NLP that I did attend. How many years? 12. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And with, um, you know, this year will be 10, uh, having a spinal cord injury. So, um, you know, nine of those 12 being with a, a spinal cord injury, that's a, that's a feat in itself. I'm sure. I'm sure there's some accommodations that need to be made, but I have, you know, I told you earlier when you came in, I didn't know what the fuck you expect. I didn't know if you're going to come in here like Stephen Hawking or not. I mean, I really didn't because I know that I don't know. You know, I, I don't. I didn't lurk. I didn't. I didn't spy. I didn't like shadow. Like I, it was just. I knew that you know you and I had met, and I guess we should probably explain to what what happened. I mean, you're a Detroit. 
I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase and then sure. you, you fill in the blanks. So I met you in 06, um, like face to face. Other than that, you, you know, you didn't participate. You didn't post a lot on the board, but you no, kind of no, knew I what tried was going to keep on. It, yeah. I, 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 I read every post, uh, you know, I was on top of all the content. Um, I absolutely love the site. Uh, you know, like I said, I kept it OT and, and the reason, reason being, um, there were so many brilliant minds on that site that like, no, 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 no. I mean, just hear me out on this, but like just people that I respected in the industry and people that created with their hands and did things that I didn't. And that I'm not, that I wasn't capable of doing, um, as like, you know, okay. So, um, I was a firefighter, you know, uh, carpenter, all this stuff, all these things I did, you know, I, I worked with my hands, but like, you know, when it came to working on bikes, no, I, I, I didn't have time for that because I was, I was trying to make money right. to pay my mortgage. So I was the guy that solicited services from people. Sure. So when it came to the site and content and all that stuff, I just saw guys like, you know, that, that knew their shit, you know, I saw, uh, you know, what Irish rich, yeah. um, you know, Dave Freston, yep. uh, you know, you know, even Mark Nelson, Skippy, it was so cool having the guys from the shop come on there to where like you could go, you know, jam up their inbox with questions and stuff. You know, and these guys were so accommodating. It was so cool to have that kind of knowledge and expertise at your fingertips on such a personal level. You know, everybody was so cool. Um, and it was, that, that was one of the main reason why I didn't say shit on that site is because like, I didn't feel like it was my place to man. Like I, you know, you guys want to post up some shit. You want to post up some hot rods. You want to post up some bikes, you know, it's same thing with the ham, you know, cause I used to frequent the ham a lot. Oh, I remember that. Um, and, uh, same thing, you know, I was, a. am still, I don't know if it's still going on, but I'm still a member of the ham. <laughs> Might not have logged in in eight years, but yeah, uh, there's the, the other one. Weren't they, um, like the sister site was the chop cult deal. The ham I thought they or were the jockey, jockey journal. journal, the jockey yeah. journal. Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. But, uh, sa- same thing, same set of, uh, uh, principles is that like, I didn't, you know, I didn't really have the stones to post much on there because I didn't want to block up bandwidth with, you know, anything stupid when there were so many smart people in the room, you know, that I could learn from. And so I just, you know, I kind of just kept a low profile. was kind of the lurker. Say, say in the room thing that that's funny because it's really what it was. Absolutely. It was, I mean, I, you could get, it was all verbal. People would get fucking checked on that site. Oh fuck, dude! dude people are ruthless, you, ruthless, ruthless. Funny in yeah. a good way, and but then there was other people. Do you remember? I'm gonna bring up something weird. Do you remember Chopper Lover when he came on there? Yeah. Okay, so that dude had that dude had a green CFL that looked kind of almost like a, a shop built bike, right? Yep. He ended up owning Jeff Decker's Triumph, which to me, the Sinner's Triumph, the, mm-hmm. that one. That's like, uh, that's definitely top that 10 guy from New York. He was yeah. okay. He killed himself two years ago. Uh, he had tinnitus. He killed himself because he had tinnitus. He was his <laughs> suddenly a wheelchair doesn't feel so bad. It was weird when you talk about like, um, all the people that are in that, that, that orbit in that circle, but he took his own life. Uh, he was the drummer in a professional kiss Band. Cover band, yes, Shit. and he had tinnitus from that, and he, wow. he took his own life from it. And his family reached out to Chopper Dogs through Facebook. That's that how all this stuff is so serendipitous. Like you know, I, I, I'm not a very cynical person at all. You know what I mean? Like I just don't. I think shit just happens. You know, shit could happen to me. What happened to you could happen to me. Not in the same way, probably because of the situation you put yourself in. You're a professional firefighter. You kind of, I mean, as a pedestrian. Um. I think we know that, or we think that you know or expect that that could happen at some point in time, right? Uh, yeah, at one hundred percent. And I mean, the day I signed up, um, 
ironically, like a couple days after, um, I, 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 I got on the job, uh, in Detroit in July of 99. So after going through their academies and stuff, I wasn't in the firehouse, like technically working a shift in a firehouse until December of that year, December 99. And like only a couple days into my shift, the Worcester six happened, uh, which was, you know, the massive warehouse, cold storage fire facility uh, in Worcester, Massachusetts. They lost six guys in that also, ironically, was a major culmination. That Those guys passing away is hands down the decision I made to go buy a bike was because of those guys. Um, so backtracking just a minute, um, the whole inherent danger thing, having an idea of what you're getting into, that's uh, I always anticipated that had something happened, I wouldn't be around to talk about it. There's going to be a flag draped coffin. There's going to be a funeral procession with rigs and the aerial towers up and the flags hanging down. And my wife's going to be crying and getting a big check. And I'm not going to be here to talk about it. I never, and maybe call it getting on the job at 20 years old. Uh, I was so naive that I just assumed that if anything went south while I was at work, I wasn't going to be around to talk about it. There was going to be no in-between. There was going to be no walking wounded or rolling wounded. Right. There was, you know, that it just, if, if, if something went south, it was just, it wasn't going to be an option. It was just, it was out and that was it, you know, uh, and, and I was okay with that. Right. But, um, so I'm only a couple days in the firehouse and, uh, the Worcester six thing happens. So we have this, you know, uh, this, your, you know, brothers got your back thing in the fire service where anytime somebody goes down line of duty, these guys, you know, travel across the globe to attend funeral services. Right. So some of the, you know, older guys, from my firehouse, my senior men, um, made the trip out to Worcester for the, their, their funeral services. And with them, they brought back the, uh, you know, little pamphlet, little funeral card, whatever. So it was posted up on a board in the firehouse. And uh, within each and every one guy's, you know, eulogy was, you know, uh, every one of them, all six contained a one-liner about how they loved spending time on the Harley-Davidson. And... It, it had manifested years before through my youth. I always wanted a bike. I always wanted a ride. And I always told myself as soon as I was in a position I had, you know, you know employment strong enough that I was going to buy one. It was after all that happened. And I, you know, was sitting, I, I remember I was sitting at the kitchen table in the firehouse because as a, as, a, as a young guy, you can't stop moving until like 8 p.m. Like you have to work like all day until everybody, you know, you can't chill out. So you can't socialize with the other dudes. So, you know, everybody else was up in the nest. Everybody else is up sleeping. And I was just looking at this, you know, this eulogy paper and saw all this, you know, how every guy had this bike and all these guys are gone. And it was like, well, this could happen to me tomorrow. I think it's time I buy a fucking bike. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of, you know, that ultimately was the, how I got started. I think everything, <clears throat> everybody has like an aha moment, I guess is what you would call that, where you kind of just go, you know, fuck it, do yeah. it, you know? And, uh, because it's certainly not a necessity, especially living in Michigan. Absolutely. Well, it's not a necessity. It's still not a necessity for me, but I, it's like a, it's my battery. Yeah. Does that make any sense? So, like, oh, I, well, I don't, absolutely. I don't even ride that much. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't. I almost, you know, I almost don't ride. Like, it's not convenient. It's not convenient. I, I bring my dog to work every day with me. I'm not leaving my dog here, so I bring my dog to work with me every day. So I'm, the dog's not fitting on the bike, and I'm not. I'm not a sidecar dude. So I'm not going to get a sidecar for my dog. So I, you know, and sometimes I got to run and get parts. And just, I'm a pleasure rider. Like if I go out for a ride, it's because I fucking enjoy it. I enjoy every minute from the minute I fired up, drive down the road, every gear shift, everything. I enjoy 1000% of that, right? So 
keeping that in mind is a pleasure thing. Like my customers always are giving me shit. Like, how come you're never riding? How come you don't go ride with us? How come you don't do this? How come you do that? Like, first off, if you want, because you guys drink and ride. You want to go drinking? I'll go drinking. I can drink with the best of them. You want to go riding? I'll go riding, but I'm not doing both because it's just pick one or the other because pretty soon it only ends one way. You know what sure. I mean? You end up shit faced in the in the gutter, and it's either because you got flung off your bike or because you got shit faced and you're in the gutter. It's just it's unnecessary. I'm not. It's I'm just not going to do that. I right? Would, I, I would like to say that I'm, you know, divine enough, had enough integrity to uh, <laughs> to be that decisive. Uh, but no, I definitely mix the two uh, in my short 11 year riding career. Everybody, um, everybody. I'm not saying I never have, but as a rule. Yeah, I don't do it now. It's yeah. not worth it now. But when I go to Sturgis, I don't get in a car for the whole week. Of course. You know what I mean? And I, I, so I get it out of my system is what I'm saying. But so, but when you have that moment where you decide that this is what you're going to do and you go down that road, it's, there's really not a way to, um, you can't, you know, can't unplug it. I can't not have a motorcycle is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So. Yeah. What well, was, uh, you know, I I shifted gears a little bit, and I was I was still riding just as much as ever. Um, shortly before my accident, uh, and I told you I was uh my my my, my rig at the time was a uh, two thousand or two thousand one uh, uh, police road king. Right. Um, and I was just you know like I said it was down, and I fixed it up and uh, got it for a song, and uh, it was it was my rig, man. And I just uh, I I love it. And then after a couple, I, I hung out for for a few years and had me my old, my old man rode it a little bit. And then uh, finally, it was just taking up too much garage space, and uh, that ended up that ended up by the wayside too. But uh, yeah, I uh, I just I, I I completely understand, man. It's 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 in your blood, you know. And and, and to have it, and and for to be you in your industry, and you know, twenty four seven, your head is just saturated with motorcycles. And it, 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 there's got to be a separation of church and state, if you will. Oh yeah, when I go home, it's still that's what I, you know. I, I had a conversation with Karen and it's like, she doesn't like motorcycles like anymore because we've had, we've had so many bad things happen, uh, yeah. you know, it, recently. And my daughter bought a motorcycle and awesome. my wife just started bawling. And I'm like, Hey man, like all this stuff, all the lights that are on the house that we're in, that we're, this is the, that, that smoke's out of the bottle. It You're not putting that smoke back wheels. in the bottle. Yeah, exactly. I've always been on two wheels. If you go back and think about it from, BMX, you know, I, I can remember riding around in, uh, I can remember riding around in Detroit on my dad's, uh, on my dad's chopper, mm -hmm. you know, and not be, going to the, I remember one time we went from, we lived in Brightmore and our bank was NBD back when they had NBD yeah. and we went to, um, beach daily and five mile. There was an NBD branch there. So we rode out of, out of Brightmore went through, I had a little football helmet on and, uh, I was on the front holding the tank because it was, a, it was a long bike. And I remember getting off the chopper and this lady coming up and start bitching my dad out. And I remember him telling her to <laughs> blow it out of her ass. Mind your own business lady. Yeah, but that's, that was, he's Mind like, your business lady. he's like, blow it out your ass. Like, you know what I mean? So that happened. And then I started the BMX deal and took that as far as I could. And then I got out of it for, for a little while, but I had a dirt bike. You know, when, you, when I think back on it, I always had some sort of, some sort of two wheels and that, I was I was always involved in. Did you ride for Albies? I did. Yeah, I used to. Uh, I used to live just like a mile and a half from Albies. Really? And for you being a West Sider and me knowing where Albies is at, or you knowing where Albies are riding for Albies, yeah, that's like a big deal. That because you know Rick Sarzo or Scarzo, Rick Scarzo or Sarzo was the the proprietor, and he got me both of my factory rides. Um, how old's Rick? 
Rick had to be, he's got to be mid-50s, late-50s now. How old are you? 41. So you're, okay, so you're born, what, 70? 79. 79, okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm six years older than you. Okay. So I rode for Albies in 88 and 89. And there's still a huge presence. Yeah, and the guy that owns it now is Todd that was the skateboard dude there. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he used to, um, he was a friend of Jeff's. Shea. Shea, yeah. okay. Um, so I've met Todd numerous occasions, uh, hanging out there and actually a kid that I used to, uh, I was in elementary school, uh, with his grandpa was the original owner of, of, Albies? of Albies. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. Shit. Um, and it's just so crazy. Cause like, you know, that whole, that whole scene, that whole click, man, like, you know, if you knew somebody to get in there and ride the ramps in the back, you know, yep. it was there all, was, you know. so there was, there was James McGraw who was uh, from your side of town who lives in, he lives in, um, Colorado now. He's like 51 or 52. Still a professional flatlander. Awesome. He quit for about 10 years, got sponsored by, ironically enough, he got sponsored by Red Bull. And they were delivering, like, pallets to his house. And he was drinking Red Bull all day. Ended up having to have open-heart surgery deal from drinking so many Red Bulls. I, I wish that was the first story I've heard of that. But Yeah, yeah so he, but he, he, quit for, he quit riding for 10 years and moved back to Detroit and then started riding again. Moved, he lives in Colorado Springs now or Denver or something like that. And then there was Bill Newman who Bill Newman was hands down. There was probably, so the, the, the whole shift happened. Um, the whole shift happened with, uh, Flatland went from being like a static sport with, you know, bunny hops and Miami hoppers and all this stuff in one place. And then there was a couple guys, there was a dude named Kevin Jones out of York PA, the plywood hoods. And Kevin Jones was the pioneer of all the rolling tricks. Mm -hmm. And once we saw, again, you mentioned magazines, and I wanted to circle back around to that. So you would get freestyling, you'd get BMX action, you'd get um, BMX Plus. BMX Plus had freestyle and BMX in it. BMX action was all BMX. Freestyling was freestyling only with a little bit of touch of skateboards. And then there was American Freestyler, which was all freestyle. And then there was a uh, BMX Action Plus or some kind of weird – there was like this – high like real low rent like it was definitely on like cheaper paper and shittier photography and like no color photography almost all black and white no norman reedus <laughs> yeah no norman reedus no tits um Bullshit. And, yeah if i pay extra can i get tits um and uh i'm losing my train of thought on that oh but bill newman was the dude in in detroit that could do all the rolling tricks and then i had a team i actually so how it came about with the albies deal was they were the bike shops on my side of town were okay. They were kind of, but they were real, you know, it's the same difference. Like everything cool happened on, it's, it seems like everything cool happened on the east side. You know, all the concert right. venues were cooler over there. The bars were cool over there when you got older. You always hear about Royal Oak and Ferndale and, you know, no one talks about Plymouth unless they're, I got arrested in Plymouth or I got arrested sure. in Livonia. Least, you know what I mean? At the, at the time, the west side was, you know, more, 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 considered more, more bougie. Yeah, it's more cosmopolitan, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, and so- um, you go out to Albies and they had all the cool shit in stock. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd fucking bug my parents to death and they would drive me all the Please way to Mount drive Clemens. drive me 45 minutes. Which doesn't seem like shit. Now I'll drive 45 minutes like it ain't nothing. But back then in an yeah. old Fairmont wagon, you know? Yeah. But when you're asking somebody else to do it. When and, you're asking you know. somebody else to do it, right. So I went there and got, I got sponsored by, I filled out all the paperwork and got sponsored by RevCor. And then, so I had to go out there to pick up my frame and all the stuff. I had to sign the thing with Rick. 
Oh, it's so cool, man. Yeah, I was 14 years old. Uh, no, maybe, I, yeah, I was 14 because I remember when I got sponsored, um, I rode RevCore for a year, a year and a half. And then the next year I got sponsored by Ozone. And then I went and uh, I went to, because I went to Woodward in 87. So I got spot. No, okay. it's been around that long. Yeah. Longer Shit. than that. Wow. Uh, I got sponsored. So I went to Woodward in 87, got sponsored in 88 by RevCore. That's when I got picked up by Albies and RevCore. And I say picked up by Albies and I, I, they didn't really have a team, sure. but they had a bunch of us that were beholden to them for what we were doing. Yeah. I think it was probably more Rick's kind of way of, of doing that. But he led you to believe that you were part of like their, their family and their team yeah. that, and then, uh, so I got my RevCore and I rode that for a year and then I got my Ozone and then I went to Woodward in 87 for one week. I went for like two weeks in 88 and then in 89, I was there the whole summer cause I taught there. That's awesome. I ended up going there under a junior counselor program and I was like, I had to work the kitchen. I was like, fuck. <laughs> wait a this. minute, wait a minute. So I ended up talking them into letting me, I ended up running the bike shop at Woodward and then I ended up teaching and I. Once they let me teach, I wasn't fucking doing fuck all. Yeah. Because when I went There's there, no in 80, back. when you went there in 87, the no freestylers had, exactly. The freestylers had to do the same calisthenics. It was like boot camp, dude, sure. in 87. Richie and Ronnie Anderson were uh, camp counselors. And this dude named Bronco that was from Puerto Rico. And this dude named Trey Leaper, um, who Trey Leaper and Bronco were both sponsored factory, sponsored freestylers and and they would come in at five o'clock in the morning screaming and yelling and knocking you out of your bunk. And you had to ride up the mountain on, you know, you had to ride it on the bike that you had there. I like these guys already. Yeah, exactly. Well, I didn't then. <laughs> of course. But the, kid would? the BMX kids, their bikes weighed 16 pounds. Us freestylers, our bikes weighed 35 pounds. We had pegs and rotors and, you know, yeah. rotors and all this shit. And so we had to do that. And then we would, you would go to classes. But by the time, it rolled around where I was an instructor. It was real fucking chill, you know. I shaved my head, had my squid haircut with my little Life's a Beach fucking thing. And that was Visor flipped up. Yeah, that was the summer that Team Haro came in for a couple days. And I ended up hanging out with Rick Moliterno. And he and I made friends. And when they came back to Wild Bill's a couple weeks later, um, after their show, they all went to my house and had dinner. I had... And I've got the picture somewhere. Oh, that's Matt crazy, Hoffman, man. Matt Hoffman, Joe Gratola, uh, Rick Moliterno, and Ron Harrow, Bob Harrow's younger brother, all at my fucking dinner table. That is insane. And then they were like, hey, you want to go with us? So I traveled around with them for a couple of days, just hey, going to different Mom and Dad, like, yeah, you got them. My parents didn't get uh, <laughs> My parents didn't give a shit about stuff like that. Like, Dude, that is, I mean, just like the, the whole sponsorship, like like as a, you know, I was, I was from the other, I was four wheels. I was a skateboard kid. Um, Jimbo over there, uh, you know, he built me a couple half pipes in the back, in the backyard. Uh, you know, we were the destination house. Uh, but like, just, just to, that's a smart move. You make sure you know what the kids are doing, right? See, he, you think that your dad built you that fucking half pipes cause he loved you. He built that. So he knew what the hell you were doing. No, he fucked up. <laughs> you had some shady fucking friends. The older, the older, the older kids came by yep. and they're like, Hey bro, you got a video. Oh, you got a video camera. Oh, hop in. You don't need no gas money. Hop in. We're going to go hit this spot. We're going to hit this spot. Just bring that camera and a charge battery. And it was like- Do you so, have all this tape still? Oh, I'm sure he does. And in, 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 yeah, that somewhere they're getting warped away in an attic in a, in a you lake get front converted, house. You got to get them converted <laughs> to DVD. I did all that. I converted all mine because I ran around my senior year with a video camera. Bro, I got some shady shit on tape. I bet. Blowing stuff up. Well, yeah. Yeah, that- uh, the, the statute of limitations has run out on it, but I watched that shit a couple- like. Three or four years ago, I was like, 
Yeah, I'm scared. Driving I'm, around quarter sticking people, getting oh, drug yeah, dealers. Yeah. We would go down to Inkster and a little Saigon, which I'm sure you you've heard of that place, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did some work in that area actually. <laughs> I'm uh, not familiar with their staff, but yeah. So we would go. We would get the drug dealers to come up to the car. You and then did we would, not. We would hand them quarter sticks of dynamite. Oh. Lit. Dude, it Vigilante was, justice. Yeah, and we would shoot them with Roman candles and shit. I have oh. all that stuff on videotape. Whoops. Shady. Well, hopefully those... Uh, <laughs> Blowing up mailboxes and yeah, stuff. Don't let those get out. We don't want any retribution. Well, it's like 25 years, 30 years later now. Uh, shit. Most, most drug dealers who had a quarter stick placed under their palm won't forget. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they have the internet. <laughs> but uh, just the, the whole thing of you being sponsored at that age, man, it just trips me out because like, it, it's funny that I'm for, you know 41 years old and I just think when I hear you know sponsored, I still revert back to that place in my head of being a young kid. And I don't give a shit if it's for a pair of sneakers or a sticker pack. Like if you're a sponsored rider and you can free tell somebody that you're a fucking shit. sponsored rider, oh man, you're 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 you know you're king shit of the neighborhood, man. Like you know, I wasn't even I wasn't even the best rider in my town, but I put a little team together, Team X, and I had me. It's all about the teams back then, man. Right? It was all about I had the Team teams. X. It was me, uh, Josh Evans, Todd Ogre, a kid named Rob Koyak. Uh, and a dude named Norman who went by the name of Nar because his name was Norman, and that wasn't cool when we were teenagers. And Nar. we got paid by elementary schools. We got paid like I want to say we charged them like a hundred or two hundred bucks, and we would do say no to drug shows. We'd haul our fucking little little half little quarter pipe ramps, kick turn ramps, and do a freestyle show. And we got not only did we get paid, we got an excused day off of school because it was the same district as us. But we got to ride on all the the high school or the elementary school gymnasium floors in the air conditioning for like four hours because we would we would kick everybody out. They would kick everybody out of the out of the gymnasium for the morning. The kids would all play outside because we'd have to set up set and up. practice for like yeah. two hours. So we had like these <laughs> awesome flatland sessions inside these air conditioned gyms in like you know May and when it was still hot out and shit. Oh, and brilliant. We, we were just like, yeah, okay. I was the MC. I'm like, all right, man. You, you can say when that. someone offers you drugs, just say no. Like, okay, you know, was, here's a tail whip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. And we'd ride for like four or five hours, long enough to where it was the end of the day, and we didn't have to go back to our school, get our check from from the dude. And I actually, man, you've been hustling since way back, dude. The, the the way we got around it was so the insurance was the problem. So they Nancy, fuck everything yeah, up, man. Nancy Reagan had. The Just Say No program, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you created a group of people, a group of kids could go in through, we'd go through the back door of the Boy Scouts and use, we would fill out the form. We started a Just Say No troop. That was Team X, was a Just Say No troop. We'd go into the back door and get Boy Scout insurance. So we recovered, we recovered, we had liability insurance for all of our shows through the Boy Scouts of America, courtesy of Nancy Reagan and the Just Say No program. This is fucking insane for the eighties that you guys had that much for you know, you guys had that much foresight. I don't know how I kind of shit done. I don't know how I did that kind of, but dude, I've always had a silver tongue for that kind of shit. That's why I, I I have found myself in my wallet's missing. (laughs) (laughs) I've found myself in the weirdest of situations where I'm just like. I don't have any, there's been a half a dozen times where I'm like, I've got zero business in this room. Like I'm in room with people that I'm not I don't like how I felt on chopper dogs. You think so? See, I don't see it. I always thought, I always saw chopper dogs as there was lots of different reasons why people there. I mean, you guys, guys like Brad, um, Brad did a lot of business on chopper dogs. 
Yeah, I ended up I ended up doing a lot of that. I didn't go there because of that. I went there because I would see all the people in the in the community part of it. I just I don't know. It just found that I had all this in common with all these people, and then it ended up being that at the end of the day, you know, I like Mike. I go over. To, I go to Mike's house in England and stay at his house, and we go around. He just texted me a little bit ago. My daughter. He was just texting me that my daughter just bought her ticket to go stay at his daughter's house, and That's so it's crazy. kind of a weird deal. We've tr- been trying to marry my youngest daughter and his son off to each other, but it's not going to work. Cause yeah. My, my kid, like my youngest daughter, are just moved out, and she's she, her boyfriend. I like him; he's a good dude. And he was John. He's a redneck, though. Watch it, John. Both of the, yeah. Well, it was funny because when he first started dating her, like coming around the shop and stuff. She's got a bike now. Yeah, all those dudes, all the dudes here at the shop are like you know side eyeing him and shit, just just <laughs> fucking with him. No one really means anything, but uh, good. These young kids don't get fucked with enough anymore, man. They don't. They're I had soft. to come. I had to come up. Y'all got to come up. When I was when I was teaching high school, I found that out. What did you teach in high school? Child? I came down, here, dude. That was the other thing. That was one of those situations where I'm like, "What? Huh?" I moved down here in 2010. Karen and I were riding. I had a 98 Road Glide at the time. We're riding down here on this road, this main road out here, and uh, there was a guy, Joe's Motorcycle School, and he's one of these dudes where you take a two day class and then you you have your credentials. So you can on a your, Honda Arrow, yeah, something like that. Yeah, you know, something bigger than a 50 cc. So she's like, pull in there, give him a couple business cards. So I go in there, I'm like, hey, you know, I opened a shop. Excuse me, I go, I open a shop, here's a couple business cards, you know, come see me. Well, so he comes and sees me. He's like, hey, I need somebody to do the maintenance on my bikes. And they were junk, and this guy was cheap as shit. And so I don't, I didn't end up doing much with him, but he asked me to come in and talk to his students about motorcycle safety as it refers, or how it's related to taking care of your motorcycle. So I did a little presentation. One of his instructors is a high school auto shop teacher, like, 30 minutes from here. And he's like, he and I started talking. He's like, Hey, will you come in and talk to my high school students? I was like, sure. Take the day off. I go down there. I spend the entire day talking to his high school auto shop kids. And at the end of the day, he's like, you know, you could do this. I'm like, ah, I don't have a degree. It's, I'm, you know what I mean? I've never been to college. You don't need one. <laughs> and that's what he said. He goes, it's, it's, you don't need one. And I'm like, what? And he's like, no, you can get an industry certification down here to teach a subject. So I was like, Okay. And he goes, and there's a school right down the road that needs a teacher. Well, without getting into all the minutia of Cycle Stop USA, but when I started Cycle Stop USA, when I came up with the concept and went to Evan about it, uh, and really it was a menu concept. It was ride in, ride out. It was tires, brakes, batteries, oil change, maintenance. Sure. You know, you get an oil change, it's this much. You get like a full service, it's this much. Tires, this much. All this stuff that you could just like order off a menu to create yeah. like a franchise model. That was the idea. Well, I had a customer, I was telling him about it. He wanted to do it with me. And I was like, <clears throat> all right, you know, Evan didn't want to do it. So I sold my my portion to Evan of JR Psychoworks. I was moving down here. Well, as soon as I moved down here, these people freaked out. I mean, once they realized owning a business wasn't a cookie jar that you could just go and snatch as many Oreos out of it as you wanted, <laughs> they what freaked do you mean out. It's not free. And so yeah, and so they were gonna put in they pledged they were gonna put in like two hundred and fifty. They only put in 185 and then they, they fucked me around on a, on a bunch of like decisions and stuff. And so I saw that going sideways. And so I went and talked to the principal at this school and they're like, yeah, you know, we need a, we need an auto shop teacher. So I've crafted a plan. I went in there and got the job and ended up teaching and built the whole school up. And they came to me like six months in and they're like, what kind of, what kind of auto shop do you want? I'm like a high school <laughs> auto shop. And they're like, well, what is that? And I'm like, what do you mean? What is that? Like, you don't, you don't just go to the book and this is, you know, you need two of these, three of these, four of these. He's like, 
No, that's We've not got how it works. Got some Allen wrenches over here. I don't think they're metric. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't know. So they're like, "Can you draw something?" So I drew out what I what I thought an auto shop would look like, and I handed it to them. And they're like, oh, "Okay, thanks." Like eight weeks later, they they have this meeting. This engineer's there, and he's rolling out, you know, blueprints and putting you know those weights in the corner and showing me this this shop that I had designed. And I had to go before the school board and this is present. all months of you coming down here. Yes, within <laughs> months of me coming crazy, down here, man. and I got a grant for one point two million dollars, and we built this shop, and I put a dyno in there, and I did all this shit, Holy and ran shit. that school for three years. Hired a buddy of mine to come from from down from Detroit that I that I had known up there, and he's still teaching there. That's awesome. Yeah. And the only reason I quit. Is it now like, you know, got your name on it? It's like, you know. No, I was, that was the, <laughs> the one thing I thought, that'd be fucking cool, you know. And I did get the, I got the logo. I designed the logo for Wesley Chapel High School. That's and I had awesome. that tattooed on me. And um, it'll that's, always be, you know, that's always one of those things where I'm pretty proud of it, you know, that I got to do that. And it's an interesting thing that, another thing, I, I remember standing there with all these teachers and I'm like. <laughs> then they come to me, they came to me with the weirdest things. They're like. Uh, will you uh, will you chair the discipline committee no. for for the school? I was like, okay. So I chaired the discipline committee. So I had to deal with every disciplinary action that went on in the school went through me, and then I had to chair the National Junior Honor Society committee. I'm like, were you cooking too? No, like <laughs> I was. Was there anybody else there that wanted to do anything? Apparently not. But Damn. I mean, I just didn't tell them no, and I ended up, you know, we put all the certification thing into place, and I ended up writing curriculum for the whole district. And there was guys that had been, there was guys that were doing it for way longer than me. So what? Did you just get burnt out? I it was an hour away. Uh. I wanted, I you know, I I came down here to do this shop. So I was I was doing at the time I was doing the podcast. I was doing teaching. And I was doing the shop, and I had two kids that were still in school, and I had ah, started. Karen and the girls were were thrilled, I'm sure. Yeah, and I was still, and I had started writing a book, which I still haven't finished, but I was I was burning the candle at both ends. I mean, yeah. it, you know, I was working 185 days a year at the school, and you know, but yeah, it's funny we we talked about Jeff earlier, Shay, how uh, you know his uh his mom was a uh, administrator of the Utica School District uh, on the east side, and uh, Jeff actually taught art. Um, at the high school level for a year or two. And it's just crazy. Like as a tattoo artist, like, you know, uh, work, you know, getting up at six in the morning, you know, having to be there, having to be there at some place at seven, a tattoo artist. Right. Uh, it was just a trip. I'm just kind of equating the two of them with, you know, how much, how, how fast he got burnt out with it. And, you know, art's a little more subjective than, uh, than, than shop is. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't gone a week without one of those kids contacting me and I haven't taught there. So since cool. And that's like 13. That's crazy, man. Like, like, and that's like, you know, how ultimately how Jeff got, like one of his students ended up tattooing at a shop with him. And now he's one of the biggest tattoo artists in the country. What's the kid's name? John Larson. Really? Yeah. Yeah. American traditional phenom. He's got, oh dude. And now he's, uh, he's really doing a lot of blackout stuff too now. Um, and like, I don't know if you follow tattoo industry stuff. Uh, I don't, but I, you know, I mean, yeah, he I, just, he just, uh, on, on top of being really good and like, you know, booked out a year in advance, whatever he works at a couple shops in, uh, in Detroit. Um, but, um, yeah, he just recently, his name was dragged through a, a, a big dust up in the tattoo industry about sexual harassment. Not him, not John. John actually was somebody that stuck up for, who was um, the guy that, that that happened to? Because I remember hearing something about that. He's from your, uh, right around your old neighborhood there on the West side. Um, I think, uh. I think that dude that got, um, oh, he, 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 John had called this guy out for like, you know, 
for like they had like this big dust up on social media for like over a year where you know John was like hey everybody needs to band together and fuck this you know we don't need these people in our industry you know because like the store like every time someone would come out like it just snowballed all these girls would start coming out and shit and it's like you know I, I really respect John for that respect uh, for for what he did you know putting his name out there as you know somebody who wasn't going to tolerate that and this guy countersuited him you know, I was trying to blackball John and like, you know, here he is, you know, tattoo artist, but nobody wants to buck up for a fucking lawyer. No. So like, you know, he was dragging John's name through the mud and shit and uh, it's still going on. But the, the, the guy who uh, he was, you know, who he stood up against, he just got charged uh, last month or something. Really? But yeah, just, just crazy the way the whole thing all. Isn't it weird how you have these uh, cottage industries weird? You know, I, I, podcasted with Jody Perowitz last night and she and I were talking about the magazines and the death of the magazine. I'm a fan of hers. Yeah. She's awesome. I didn't know. I learned a lot of, I've known her for years, just kind of peripherally, you know, um, known who she was forever just because of who her dad is. Right. But so we, we had a, you know, our sit down last night, just like, like this, but it was over the phone and you find out from her, like, you know, um, it's not, these cottage industries don't, You'd think people there's like there's like no middle class in them is what I'm trying to get at, right? There's like a bunch of us that are barely making it. I'm one of them, you know. And then you have this perception that I'm doing far better than what I am. Like, I, look, as far as like my spiritual net worth, I, I I'm in the one percent, right? I've got amazing fucking friends. I have amazing stories I can tell. I get to do amazing things that other people don't get to do. I'm not willing to leverage my freedom for a little bit of financial security. I can't do it. I've tried to do it. You know, I've gone back a couple times. Like, well, I'll do this part time. This is not something you can do, and this is not something I can do part time and fill my bucket the way I want to. I don't have a bucket list, right, of things I've, I've got to check this off. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I don't. I don't operate like that because I operate in this space where I can do whatever, whenever. And I've learned, I mentioned earlier about the panic button. I don't know if that was when we were out there talking yeah, yeah, this yeah. year, but you know, when you have, when you own your own business, there's this panic button that you want to hit all the time. And you realize that you can hit it as much as you want. And it's really a self-dealing transaction. It, it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere, but these cottage industries where you have people at the top that make Uber amounts of money. And then you have guy like this whole like lower class of, you know, people that, we're not lower class people, but as far as like financially, if you looked at like my balance sheet of where I'm at, it, it doesn't make sense to an account. My accountant looks at it and he's just like, what are you doing? Like get a fucking job loser. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. it's like you're, you're just making you're hemorrhaging. It. I'm hemorrhaging money. Like, but I, but I have, I've got nice shit. I have good time. I do find you want. a way to get by. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, currency in that. You know, and, that was, and this is no secret. I I published that podcast last night. Jody was talking about, she goes, we pay our bills the fucking last day you can pay a bill. We absolutely do. And, you know, we're always trying to move this and move that. You're playing a shell game with yourself. You know, you're making spreadsheets that have spreadsheets in them to try to make yourself feel better about, <laughs> about where you're going to, where, where you're going to, how you're going to take care of things. Like I mentioned to you earlier, like when we talked, when you were asking me about moving down to Florida and I'm like, it's, it's this hard, right? But it's really, it's, it's, you think it's going to be so, you know, like if there's, if it's on a scale of one to 10, you think it's going to be okay. It's going to be a seven to move. And then when you actually get down here and you unpack all your shit and you're sitting across the table from your wife and you're going like, fuck, that was, I thought it was going to be a seven or eight. It was like a 14. Like it's (laughs) off the scale of how hard 
It is. And let's get divorced. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, in no, I mean, thankfully, this year will be 20, 27 years you that I've been married. married. when you were 12? I got married when I was 20. Good for you. Karen was 18. Good for you, man. We, it wasn't a shotgun awesome. wedding. It was just something we wanted to do. We got married while she was still in high school. We came down here on her spring break for senior year. So she got married uh, a couple months before she graduated. Well, that says a lot about who you are because her dad must really fucking like you. <laughs> he fucking hated me. <laughs> we talk about that all the time. That man seethed anytime yeah. I was around. And look how it all paid off. That's what I told him. I'm yeah. like, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't, really, it doesn't fucking matter. And that's why... I, I'm I'm very fortunate. My older daughter is married, and I love that kid to death. I mean, like, he's like my son. Um, and then my younger daughter had a boyfriend that I just I didn't like, and I couldn't get past it. And he got uninvited to the party. Oh, that's it. Sometimes, uh, you know, I I'm I'm learning. I only have my daughter will be five in May, so I'm I'm, I'm learning that there's going to be have to you know times I might have to intervene. There's going to be a time where you're. There's a time where you just in you know when I ran when I basically told this person he was no longer allowed to be on the same part of the planet as me in my in that same space um I told my daughter I'm like you get one so make good choices cuz I'm not doing this I'm not doing this again Hey, like it, good for it's you, man. one and done. So good for you. Too many people, you know, try to play that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay back in the cut and do, you know, I'm not gonna intervene, you know, in that part, portion of their lives. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna look back and you're gonna bite yourself in the ass, you know, that have you having not intervened. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you that parenting never ends. It just evolves. It changes. Sure. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure your dad would agree with that to some degree. You have four children, sir. God love you. <laughs> three of them were girls. Yeah. I tapped out at two girls. So if you had three girls, then a boy, I had two girls. And I was like, all right, I obviously cannot put the candle on the cake. So I'm just going to have to settle for son-in-laws because I can't, I couldn't keep going. Dude, I, I, I'm a vasectomy kid, man. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fucking miracle. Oh, well, that's right. You fought your way out the whole way, I right? Should. I was a fucking Michael Phelps. Tozoa with a with with fucking biceps the size yep. of fucking legs. Don't fuck with me, man. I'm coming. No pun intended. So, um you still have let's talk about motorcycles a little bit. Um go circle back around. Yeah. So, you're you're para? Yeah, I'm a paraplegic. Yep, I'm uh, basically uh, T6, thrash, uh, basically chest down. Um, you know, I'm I'm paralyzed, so you know I've got I've got ambulation. You know, all my upper extremities, full use of my arms. I mean, your arms, yours doesn't look like there's any atrophy at all from the waist up, from from what I can see. So that's that's good. I mean, you look healthy, is what I'm saying. Oh I mean, yeah, some yeah. people look. Some people, even though they have their faculties, it you you can see that they they don't. Well, I mean, um, I'll put it this way. Uh, spinal cord injuries are like fingerprints. They're absolutely unique. Um, uh, they, you know, you can differentiate uh, different uh, environments, uh, you know, after a spinal cord injury. You can break it down in so many different ways. Um, I can't make much of a comparison because I only know mine. Right. Um, I don't, you know, it's not like every, you know, people make this assumption that everybody in a wheelchair knows each other. It's like, oh, this girl lives over here, you know, Stacy. No, I don't really? fucking know Stacy, man. I don't fucking know her. I'm sorry. That happens? Oh, I, uh, more often than it should. 
Um, that's completely inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, we we can break it down. And, that's you know, a virtue signal. Yeah, different examples. Yeah, but it, it's comfort for people and conversation. You know, it's them making themselves comfortable. But um, regardless, uh, I you know from my situation, um, uh, you know, I, I I I have this thing, this kind of mantra where right from the get, like right from my hospital bed in the ICU. Um, I, I, I made this realization through all the drugs I was on that, you know, somebody always has it better and somebody always has it worse. Okay, that's a good like, way to look like, at it. Like, like you said, you didn't know what to expect me rolling in here. Am I going to get off? You know, you had no idea I drove myself here. Uh, you, you know, was I going to get off a van with a fucking ventilator I and, you know, a power chair? No. So, like, I, yeah, like I, every, 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 everybody's spinal cord injury is different. And, you know, what the, the stuff they have to deal with. Um, circumstances they have to live with mine being that it was a, you know, an on the job, you know, uh, a, a duty related injury, you know, I got, I got a fucking paycheck, you know, people that are, uh, you know, drug dealers that are, you know, had quarter sticks of dynamite handed, <laughs> put in their hands and they're in a wheelchair. Now those guys don't have a fucking, uh, a pension or, you know, disability. Uh, are you pissed off and bitter? Do you ever, I mean, you go through that, right? You went through that, right? You, I mean, you don't appear to, but I mean, at some point in time you were, I'm sure you're it's pissed, never right? over. It's never over. I mean, what you deal with, it's so funny because like in the, in the clinical setting, like right in the hospital, it just, I don't know where it comes from. It's like this innate thing where you, you just start regurgitating all the, the feel good bullshit that everybody else wants to hear. You instantly, you know, start telling everybody else, you know, how it's going to be okay and you're going to fight and blah, 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 blah. And it's just, it's completely innate. It's something that comes from inside you that like you're just conditioned from externally that like you're, you're, you know, you're in this position and everybody around you is devastated. And obviously you're fucking devastated too. But like you just start spewing the same shit that you hear everybody else say. And it just comes from this place that like, you know, and it's so easy to be that person in front of everybody else. But like what you deal with inside, am I, at te- uh, it'll be 10 years this August since I've been right. paralyzed. Am I still bitter? Fuck yeah, I'm bitter. I was 31 years old. Right. I had 11 years on the fire department. I had a fucking hundreds of guys behind me. I was going to pump up the seniority chain. I could have put in 40 years with the Detroit Fire Department. I was locked and loaded, man. I fucking, right. I saw guys get laid off. I saw, you know, I, I you know, during the, 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 the bleak times, you know, before Detroit officially circled the drain with the bankruptcy and shit, and there was these massive layoffs and shit, I just remember, you know, sitting there at the chow table and being like, man, am I fucking lucky to have this job. I'm so, I'm so thankful to have this job. Um, so it's all, everything, everything's all relative, man. Everything's all like today you, on the, on the way here, like, you know, when I was getting ready to come here, I was having a fucking rough morning. Things weren't going my way. And it's like, you know, I want to punch somebody. I want to scream. I want to be fucking pissed off. But at the same time, I can't externalize that. You know, I can only go so far. My daughter's in the house. My family's around, you know, no, I, as shitty as my day is. Nope. I told Jason, I'm going to fucking be there. I'm going to continue on and we're going to do this shit, you know? So it's kind of just, you know, I've never been on, um, I've never been on the receiving end of being, uh, in, you know, we were acquaintances, right? So we kind of knew each other. We operated in the same social circle to some degree, but I've never been on this end of it. I've lost friends where they're completely gone. And I will tell you, here's some, I can't tell you that, Oh, you know, if this happened to me, I'd do this. Go fuck yourself, and you're entitled to tell anybody that says that this is what they would do because they don't fucking know, right? I mean, that's the truth of it, right? Be honest with you. Don't I don't know what the fuck I would do if, if the same thing happened to me. Sure, sure, and 100. percent And that's kind of one of the things, like uh, in the in the infancy of your, you know, these injuries when like you're impatient 
and at re- uh, rehabilitation facilities, like they have people whose jobs, like they're called rec therapists. And like, you know, on top of all the other kind of, you know, physical therapists, occupational therapists and all that stuff, everybody's in your life. These rec therapists are kind of there to help you, you know, realize that, you know, there are things that you can still do. And it's like, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a really tough, I'm, tough job for them to be in mentally because like here you are trying to prop somebody up who's down at the same time. Like, well, you know, it's a bargaining thing. It's like a negotiating thing. Well, you can still do this. You can do it this way. You can do it that way. And there's some, especially so early on, you're like, well, fuck yourself, man. I don't want to hear how I can ride a trike. I don't want to hear how I can do this and I can do this and I can do that. Like I'm still processing my shit like at my own speed. I don't need you telling me how the fuck I, what I can and can't do and how I'm going to do it, you know? Right. But at the same time, they have such a beneficial position in people's lives because like, Hey, they're the first person like, Hey, you know, let's go roll to a tiger's game. You know, like, you know, they, they, they're the ones to show you that like, you know, Hey, you can go over to the garden bowl and go fucking bowling, you know? Uh, you know, there's like, there's, so it's, it, it's really hard. Um, it's really hard to, for me to vocalize that, you know, the, the, the mental perspective that you're in. Here's why I brought it up. Cause I can tell you this from somebody who was, I mean, we were acquaintances. We weren't like bros, you yeah. know what I mean? But I'm, John, can you get that? I can tell you this. It's probably my wife. You think? <laughs> that I can tell you from sitting over here that I'm glad because I've lost friends. I'm glad that you're still here. I'm glad that we're having this conversation. I'm glad that you're even, I'm glad that you're pissed about it. And you know what? Things happen to me too that I'm pissed about. Like, you know, losing my dad. Yeah. That fucking pissed me off. That was the biggest rip-off con artist bullshit that I'd ever been in, involved in. Because he was here and then he was gone. And, you know, when when I got a phone call from my mom and she's like, hey, because <clears throat> I go get my hair cut. That's, that's like the one thing I do for my, you know, my wife gets her nails done. I go to this barber over here that fucking clean shaves, does a whole deal. So I do, I had a scheduled appointment to go do that on Wednesday morning. My mom called me. She's like, hey, I need you to, I need you to be here Wednesday morning because I've got to take your dad to the hospital. I was like, okay. So it took me a half an hour to move him about 50 feet. And when I put him in the car, I knew that that was, he was never coming home again. That was again. the last time. Yeah. Right. It wasn't the last time I saw him, but I knew that he wasn't coming home. Mm-hmm. Right. So then he goes to the hospital and anybody that tells you that the VA is a shit show, maybe it is on the backside of things, but my dad was in the hospital and Steve Jobs wouldn't have been treated better than my dad. My dad was a uh, Vietnam-era Marine that volunteered for service, and somewhere in his DD-214, they saw that, and they treated my dad like he was the fucking only patient in that entire hospital. You have no idea how good that makes me feel, you know, that that's how it is. Yeah, and so anybody that says any different, I mean, maybe they're difficult to get prescriptions, or I I don't know. I don't have a bad experience with the VA. I don't, even though my dad died there. So- I, he, we take him to the hospital and they tell us that he's got, they don't know what's going on with him. They think he has the flu. So, or not the flu. They think he has pneumonia because he's got fluid in the lungs. So they do all the protocols for that, right? They load him up on, um, on, uh, antibiotics does nothing because they actually did it once and they sent him home and then immediately he had to go back to the hospital. Right. So he goes back to the hospital and they come in and they talk. They sit down my mom. They sit my mom and my dad down. They're like, hey, look, you've got some fluid in your lungs and we don't know what it is. So we need to go in there. And basically they told him they were needed to intubate him and they needed to pressure wash the inside of his lungs and vacuum him out. That was how they described it. Mm -hmm. 
And so my dad had to agree to be intubated. And they said, look, we're going to intubate you on Friday. You're going to have the procedure done on Friday. We are not taking that intubation tube out until Monday at the earliest. Even if you can do jumping jacks, that's staying in. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you understand? He's like, yeah, I understand that. So he goes in. They do it. Um, and when you may know this, when you're on a, a ventilator, they start dialing it down to see how much, if you can breathe over top of the oh, ventilator, right? Oh, I know. I extubated myself. <laughs> Did you? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So my the first night, my dad didn't have any luck. The second night, my dad didn't have any luck. So we go, Monday, they're supposed to take the tube out, and everybody's kind of like, you know, freaking out, kind of, at this point, like, the realization is coming in that, that this is a pretty, this is, my dad's always gone in the hospital and always been able to come right back out. It's never, it's never been a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Well, even when it was a big deal, he came home and rallied. Everything was great. Well, so Monday, they're like, hey, we can't, uh, we, this is no bueno. Like, we need to start looking at options, right? Well, then he starts breathing over top of the ventilator. So they decide, they have this this meeting and everything. They take the tube out, and they reminded us, hey, look, we weren't supposed to take this tube out till Monday anyways. So they take it out. He starts breathing, and he has this uh, ICU psychosis. <laughs> Oh, I'm very familiar with that. So he kept calling himself Ricky, and he kept doing all kind of crazy shit. And uh, they, then he rallies. Wednesday, he wakes up and tells my mom, I want to eat. I want to eat breakfast. And he was totally normal, right, Wednesday, Thursday. And then he's having trouble breathing. They have him on a nasal cannula. Well, then that doesn't work. They put him on a super cannula with a mask. And he, on Saturday... I'm here at the shop, and he FaceTimes me, okay? And for whatever reason, I don't even know why or how, but I've faced, I've screen recorded the whole FaceTime. Really? No sound. Wow. So I've got my dad on this FaceTime oh, Saturday. that's so right? cool, man. So I told him I'm going to be, I'll come and see you, right? So I go Sunday by myself. I go Sunday. It was the day before Labor Day. I go see him, and... He's not well. I can tell he's not well. And he tells me, I mean, he gives me a big hug, and he tells me, hey, I love you. You know, I could hear it through the math. I was going to podcast with him, actually, and he's like, I can't. I'm so yeah. sorry. And I'm like, yeah. it's cool. And so um, he tells me he loves me. I spend a little bit of time with him, and I'm like, I got to go. I'm going to leave now. I go and talk to the doctor. I'm like, hey, we need to start thinking about palliative care, you know, and she's like, okay, you know, we'll do whatever. And uh, I go back in, see him. He tells me he loves me. I, my mom says, I'll walk you out. We go outside. I go, hey, look, you need to tell him that I got this, that we'll just take care of it. Like he's, he doesn't have to try to fight anymore. Like if this isn't – if he's not – I don't think he's going to get any better. And if he's not going to get any better, let's just end this. Like like let him let him go in peace, you know? And she's like, okay. And so I leave and I get – I remember the fucking elevator doors closing. I remember just like in slow motion. I remember looking down at the floor like I hadn't hit the floor button yet. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can get out of this elevator. I can walk back in there and I can go see him and tell him I love him again. But then that's going to be the last time I see him. Yep. And then I can get back in the elevator and I go back out there and then that's going to be the last time I see him. I'm not going to do that. So I get down in the elevator. True story. I get I go down in the elevator and – uh Go home, get my wife. We go and have dinner, really nice dinner with some friends of ours here in Plant City. We go home at five o'clock in the morning, Labor Day. I wake up and it's like 90 degrees in the house. And I'm like, 
I'm knocking on, you know, I'm kind of bumping Karen. I'm like, what the fuck? What, what, what happened to the air conditioner? I grab my phone. I look at my phone. My sister called me twice. My mom called me twice. Yeah. I looked at Karen. I go, he's dead. She's like, what? I go, my dad's dead. She goes, how do you know? And I, I go, my sister doesn't call me for, we don't, she's not going to call me at three o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah, yeah, unless something. So um, I get up. And that bastard killed my air conditioner on the way out. He died, and he <laughs> just, took my air conditioner with him. Just to let you know. Yeah, hey, cost I'm me 5300 bucks. <laughs> and to make matters worse, it was a Labor Day weekend, right? So Monday morning I get up. I don't have air conditioning. It's still hotter than shit outside. And then my entire family comes from, you know, my mom still has family up in Michigan. They come down there staying with us. I don't have air conditioning at my house in Florida that whole week. We're all sitting around with, like, fans like it's an old plantation. But I would... I don't even know how I got on that tangent, but my point is, is that it's your dad, uh, you fucking love him, man. Oh, I would, cause I got robbed. Yeah. Right. So I got robbed. So I come back to work. I'm working by myself. I don't have a fucking mechanic cause I had fired him cause he was, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. So it kind of set me on this, on this trajectory where I was telling you that I, I lost some people, right? I lost him almost one year, one year and one month. I lose my, my ace guy in the back, you know? And so I can tell you as your friend that, this is better than you not being here. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. none of us are getting out, you know, getting out of here with unscathed and unscarred. And I know you've heard that. And that's all, that's all again, that's, oh, that's virtue signaling for me trying to make me feel good about, but I, I'm not bothered by any of this. I, I mean, as you get older, you know, you that, that, that the walls just close in on you, you know, every time, every time you pick up the phone and look at your text messages or something, you know, they're, they're, you, you come in these stretches where fuck man, somebody else, you know, yep. fucking pancreatic cancer, fucking suicide, whatever. I'm in one of them fucking three year funks, man, where every time dude fucking just, you know, people are dropping like flies, man. And, uh, like you said, it's, uh, uh, a consciousness um like my performance on a daily basis what i'm able to achieve how i'm able to be a dad for my daughter right. how i'm able to still provide through you know in sources of income and paying the bills and handling the financials in my fucking household um my effectiveness comes in 24-hour increments of what i'm able to stuff down because there's constantly you know the, the whole grieving process. No, man, this is, this isn't like, um, okay, I can, you know, okay. I put on a prosthetic leg, you know, skip around, whatever. No, 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 no. I like, you know, it's a, you're, you're constantly weighing out, trying to stuff down and suppress the way things used to be with the way things are. And like, you know, this week here I am some fucking fly ass rental on Anna Marie Island. Right. Right. You know, here with my parents, here with my wife and my daughter, we go out to the beach. You know, I got my old man here, Jimbo, who's, you know, willing to push me around on one of these beach wheelchairs. And here I am standing at the surf, man, or sitting at the surf on this wheelchair, not able to go anywhere. But I'm still sitting next to my dad, listening to some fucking tunes, watching my daughter running in and out of the water, watching her build sandcastles, pick up seashells. And it's like, I constantly have to internalize that. Like, yes. I'm fucking livid that I don't, I'm not out there. Everybody else is, the water's 50 degrees too fucking cold for that kid to go swimming. No, man, if I was able-bodied, me and the kid would be out there swimming, you know? Sure. Like, I'd be fulfilling every bit of my dad duties. But, like, every day within my mind, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a battle. It's a, it's a negotiation process of, okay, well, I understand that this, th these things aren't coming to fruition, but, like, I have this, and I need to focus on here. I need to concentrate on this, you know? So it's like... um especially since my daughter, you know, I had 10 years at this, you know, my daughter's, she doesn't know any different though. Right. No, she doesn't. No, of course. So her dad to her, this is, 
you're you're whole. You just you can't use the whole thing, right? I mean, for all intents and purposes. <laughs> Wait, which whole thing are we referring? Well, I'm talking to? about. I mean, you're all. You, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My body. Yeah, I'm here. I'm there. a physical being. Yeah. yeah, and so I mean, you know, you look down and you know, I mean, like you said earlier when we started out, you're like somebody always has it worse. Yeah. That's what you tell yourself, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's somebody who doesn't that didn't get out with with both appendages, didn't get out with both legs. Right. It's and I get it. It's a tough. It's a tough fucking thing to to. Yeah, but like it's I mean, tough cri- to explain it. Right. Have you ever seen the movie Mask? Oh fuck yeah. Okay, with Rocky Dennis. Yeah. Right, and he's got a blind girlfriend. Right, his girlfriend is um, Laura Dern, mm-hmm. and he's like she's Sam like, Elliott. Share. Yeah, and she doesn't know what colors are, and so he takes a rock and he puts it in the fridge, and he hands her this rock, and it's cold. And he goes, "This is blue." And he has a rock in boiling water, and he pulls the rock out, and he hands her the rock that's boiling. He goes, this is red, right? And he hands her a wad of cotton, and he, and he says, this is white. And she's like, I get it. I get it. You know, like, so it's, it's perception is yeah. what I'm getting at. Like, you know, I mean, it's just, it's different. Yeah. You know, no two of us are, are identical. And so you just adapt, overcome. And, and again, there's another one of those virtue signals from somebody who's not in your situation, but- you know, no, but that's 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 what you have to do. I mean, you know, if, if does it help to have a friend that's like, hey, man, fucking enough? Uh no, no, because I don't like. I mean, uh, I don't really externalize that, like the, the the frustration part. Like my family gets to see it a little bit. Like you know, they know they know my cues. Like you know, when shit ain't right, you know, when I'm having a tough day or something. Right. But like, I have such a tight circle that like, no, no, my friends and family, like my old dudes from the fire department, like they never see that shit. You know, they might hear me get short or snippy or something like, you know, when I'm having a, having a bad day, but like, no, they don't, they don't, they don't see it. So I don't need anybody to pick me up by my bootstraps because motherfucker, I'm always, my boots are always on. on, Right. Yeah. Like I don't have, I don't have a choice. That's an interesting metaphor actually. Yeah. I just, uh, every day I do as much as I am physically fucking capable of, whether it's dishes, cooking for my family. You know, a lot of people can't even say that. A lot of able-bodied people can't even say that. There's a lot of people that don't do everything that they have the ability to you. You said something earlier that of all, of all the things that I don't understand, um, and help, I just need you to help me understand it. Like you said, like uh, you don't want to ride a fucking trike, and I get. I, I, so let me tell you how how I how how, how I receive that. Sure. Right? So, so like I get it. You don't want to have to ride a fucking trike. Like, and I'll tell you a great story. My dad always wanted a trike. My dad built custom motorcycles when we lived in Detroit. And so there's this there's this cassette tape that's been passed around my family. And back before there was the internet, my aunt lived in Virginia. And so what we would do is my dad would sit down with a cassette tape and a cassette recorder in our living room. This is like 74, 75, 76. And they would hit, you know, you had to hit play and record at the same time. Yeah. And my dad would talk to me and talk to my aunt. He's like, well, you know, we're painting the living room red and Sally, you know, Sally's got a new job. And he was blogging. Yeah. He was, yeah. He's basically like doing an audio blog and they would stop. They rewind and they'd mail that tape to my aunt. And then my aunt on the other side would say, well, Steven's Steven's saying his ABCs. And I'd hear my cousin say his ABCs, you know, has got a cool family. Exactly. Well, so this, this tape that's circulating around, it's him interviewing me as a little kid. And I, and I, I've, I've, Toiled around. I've, I've thought about putting a. I never got to podcast with my dad. That really fucking bothers me. Like I didn't do that. And so the lesson there is just don't wait. Have the podcast. Do what you know. Whatever. Yeah. I was thinking about releasing that as a podcast. But in the podcast, my dad's like, "Hey, what do we have in the backyard?" And I'm like, "I don't know, swing set." And he's like, "No, no, the other thing." 
And I'm like, I don't know, this slide. I'm going through a couple different things. He goes, no, the big thing out there, what are we going to build together? I'm like, oh, we're going to build a trike. And he's like, yeah, we're going to build a trike, right? Well, so like five years ago when my dad got his diagnosis, my aunt called me. She's like, hey, I want to build your dad a trike. Will you build your dad a trike if I pay for it? I'm like, yeah. So um, I had my dad bring his bike up to the shop. And then I don't let him see. He doesn't come up to the shop a lot at this point. He's kind of doing his own thing. Sure. And so he's always like, hey, where's my fucking bike? I want my bike back at the house. I'm like, I'm, I'm busy. You know, I'm busy. So Christmas morning, my aunt comes from Virginia. We're all sitting there. And I take the CD out and I put it in the CD player. And I'm like, look what I found, dad. And the CD plays. And he's like, hey, you know, what are we going to build? And like, the trike. And I stopped. I hit pause. Now, his four grandchildren are there, all girls. My mom, my wife. My sister and my aunt and uncle are there. And uh, I'm like, we never did build a trike, did we? He's like, no, we never did. And I take out my iPhone and I start showing him pictures. I'm like, look at this. And it's his bike with the trike kit on it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, all of a sudden you just see his eyes light up, right? And we, he and I spent six months building that trike out there. That's so fucking cool. And he rode it around the building and he never told me this. My mom's like, he fucking hated that thing. <laughs> he didn't like it at all. Like it wasn't what it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Like you think something's going to be this way. So here's here's hear me out on this. You think it's going to be this way, but it's really this way. He thought it was going to be great. It wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Yeah. Do you think riding a trike would be shitty? Not fucking fuck off. I don't even want anything to do with it. Uh no. I think it comes from a place of having something to compare it to. Okay. And you manifest your lifeline, your bloodline of motorcycles. Clearly it came from your dad. Your dad had it too. That, that place that we all go to, you know, at 75, 80 miles an hour, you know, on a 250 mile an hour or 250 mile run where you lock in and you're there and that's part of you. And you know, as you, as you become a cyclist, a biker, if you will, and you do it more and more and it just, it becomes second nature to you. So when you're second nature, when something that becomes innate to you is stepping on that motorcycle and gripping and ripping, right. Becomes something that you have to think of and second guess yourself. And you're not in that same comfortable place you were. Yeah. You're not going to like it at first. Nobody fucking likes change. Okay. So let me, let me put something, understand that this comes from a, a, a not a self-dealing Let place. Let me it, man. I don't give a shit. This is what I'm going to make you an offer. You send me that CFL frame down here, and I will put that trike kit that's on my dad's bike on that CFL trike, and I will build Are you a trike you and not charge crazy? you. I won't charge you a dime. You you supply supply the frame, and you, let's 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 do a CFL trike. No one's ever done one. Wow. You can come down here as many times as you want. You can stay at my house. We'll build it. You can fucking weld. I can, do you know how to TIG weld? If I don't, you don't, I can show you how to TIG weld. Finger trigger the whole deal. That's how I do it. And wow, we'll build a bike together. It right. might take us fucking, it might take us however long it takes for you to get down here. That's an impressive offer, Mr. But, Hallman. Uh, you can have, I'll put that trike kit. I would feel good knowing that that thing's, uh, I, I'm not going to use it, but we'll put, we'll put the, I have that whole axle, the whole deal. We'll put it on a CFL frame. I know I can call Cody. I know I can call Brad. We'll fucking make that thing the baddest fucking bitch ever. And if you ride it and you don't like it, park it in your fucking garage and or in your living room and fucking hang ornaments on it but if you if you do like it you ride that motherfucker as much as you want let me let me let me give you this for for sake of inspiration or uh, you know for for eyeballing things like trust me i have looked every you know for 10 years obviously you know 
you, you're hurt. I'm going to look up fucking paraplegic motorcycles, whatever, blah, 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 all this adaptive shit, all the crazy stuff they have out there. Um, there's a, uh, company out in the West coast, the Bay area called slab side. Yep. Um, they're right outside of San Jose. They got this customer that, uh, they, they, they do work for his name's Antonio, uh, Kistian. And he's a paraplegic fella. And they built him a couple fucking sweet bikes, man. in two different like capacities. Cause one for me, the biggest thing was like the whole thing with the trike and all that. It's like for someone in my situation, if I can't bring my wheelchair with me and like start and finish, like that, that's essentially telling me that I have to start and finish my ride in the same place. Like, ah, I like, think we can work around everything. Well, no, no, that's what I'm saying. Like the, these dudes that like, um, these dudes that, that, that built the spike from slab side, they built him one like crazy custom bagger, you know, slam down that he gets on and off of. And he would like, actually like, like how I used to get in the car, like physically manhandle his wheelchair, strapping it down. And then they built him a little, uh, like sidecar platform that he would roll up and his chair rolls next to him and he transfers onto the bike and fucking rolls. And it's so weird. Cause like when I was, you know, in the, in the, in the peak of my riding at home, there was this dude that used to hang around Wolverine, Harley Davidson. I don't know if he was a vet. I'd heard stories, whatever, but I used to, I used to pull up next to him on the road all the time. And he had like a, uh, it was like a, a soft tail or fat boy and it would ghost ride his sidecar. He was in, his, his dude was in a wheelchair. His sidecar was like a fucking chariot. Yeah, I've seen that. And dude. he rolled up into the chariot, fire engine red. He pulled up into the chariot, and they had a set of uh, you know, the handlebars and all the throttle controls were in his chariot. So he controlled it, you know, from his chariot, strapped in while the ghost, uh, the, the 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 bike ghost rid next to him, and he even had a little porthole for his dog, like his dog would stick his head out there. Dude, we could do a straight up OG fucking CFL that you ride on that has a sidecar on it. That has your fucking your your that your that your that your wheelchair goes in, and then we could build something to where you could take your wife and daughter for a ride in the sidecar. Another pod that goes on it if you want to take them, dude. Man, you got my wheels turning, man. Dude, I mean, f- I, I mean, I'm turn. not trying to be like this fucking. Like no, I, I said, you know what I mean. Tony Robbins, I know. No, it, but I'm I'm dead fucking serious. No, I you I, would never get a bill from me for for anything that I did for it. We'd have to come up with them. We get have to fucking find a motor. We're gonna have to find a trans. We're gonna have to find all the fucking pieces and parts. But we'll fucking do it right here. We'll put it on Instagram. We'll fucking get, dude. I know everybody. I know you anybody, <laughs> and we'll get fucking. We'll make this fucking happen. That's we'll make trip, this fucking man. happen. My dude. mind really can't, you know, wrap itself around what is occurring right now. The whole prospect of that. Find a fucking donor bike for 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 an engine and trans and and shit. But dude, we'll do it. Fucking straight up CFL. Fucking the whole deal. We'll put a man. We'll put a we'll put a recluse clutch in it. We'll put a fucking hand shifter, dude. It'll be recluse clutch with a hand shift with a bayonet shifter. You fucking yeah, I know it's the baddest fucking thing. I, I know ever, it's dude. all doable. I watch other people do it, like uh, uh, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to look like a fucking some anomaly. It'll look like a fucking chopper with a sidecar on it. End of. We'll make it to where it pins right on and off. I mean, you set up the the caster and the camber right on the sidecar, and that bitch will fucking track at ninety mile an hour. No fucking problem, dude. You're blowing my mind right now, man. I'm having like you know. I just, I just never, never anticipated something like that. You know, I just kind of, uh, I don't know. I kind of put off bike ride and just thought, you know, when the time Fuck comes, I'll, I'll get a fucking hot rod and, you know, I'll just, just drive a car. Well, like, I mean, yeah. those are cool too. <laughs> I mean, you're the one that supplied fucking Jesse with the, the low rider, right? Uh, the, the Impala. It, yeah, the Monster was, Garage Impala. Yeah, it was a that Bel Air. That was yours. Yeah, it was a Bel Air. Well, that, that dude is, that's, 
I think that's Brad Jans owns that still. He was just on no, social no, 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 media. No, 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 no. Uh, J-Dub? Uh, no, no, no. That was, um, he had the Folsom yeah, uh, the Lowrider. Folsom. He still has that. Uh, mine was a uh, 62 Bel Air that they did the uh, electric drag car on with the Hilo motors and the Milwaukee oh, lithium-ion batteries. I never, you know, I've never watched an episode of fucking Monster Garage. Really? It's, no, I watched the... the weren't, old, weren't you on Monster's Garage? I was on uh, Motor City Motors with the Detroit Brothers. Okay. That show, that was probably the biggest fucking letdown in my entire fucking life. That was, those dudes had me, not the Detroit Brothers, huh? the producers of that show had me thinking, fucking, I just had to stay the course, and, you know, and it, it, would, it would happen. And then three years ago, when they started doing that uh, garage rehab show with uh, Richard Rollins, uh-huh. they flew me out to, to L.A., and I did a whole audition for like two days and the whole deal. And, and that dude, that Russell dude, ended up getting it. They said I looked like a fucking uh, a recycled Jesse J- too much like Jesse James. What? Yeah, I'm like I don't. That's you were talking about shit that's offend like 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 you know just absolutely offensive. That's pretty fucking offensive. I mean, that, well, it, that, was- that that I was just another I was just another Jesse James wannabe. I think is what they said. And the dude they hired Russell, nice guy, whatever. You know, he's got perfect beard, perfect. Haircut, skinny jeans, work boots, whatever. Nice guy. Yeah, you know, that, he was an EMT. That entertainment industry, it's something, ain't it? I would still love to do something like that just because of the, you know, I, I, could, I don't mind being in front of the camera. I don't mind. I love the sound of my own voice probably probably too much. You got a good but, one. <laughs> thank you. Well, I went to Spex Howard. I used to be on the radio. What's, what station? 98.3 WLCS. That's part dude. You in Muskegon, 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 Michigan. 98.3 WLCS. Port City weather forecast for tonight. Mostly cloudy skies. An overnight low of 72 degrees. Tomorrow, mostly sunny and 85. Going to kick off another half-hour oldie set with Sunny and Cher, and I've got you, babe. <laughs> Put your booties on. It's cold, cold, cold outside. Right, yeah. <laughs> I had to do, uh, it was some dog shit radio station in Muskegon, Michigan. Did you live there? Yeah. That was terrible. That was why I'm not in the radio. I found out real quick that, the radio was not a, yeah, I, I, but the funny thing is, is I, I use it to do this, right? So I understand this, this space sure. pretty easily because of, you know, it was on a much bigger scale, but. And I just think it's so cool that you can adapt that to this. Cause I mean like this, this format, like I'm a pod, I listen to a lot of podcasts and shit and it's just like, everybody complains about like, you know, going back full circle, talking about the death of the magazine and like, you know, how people receive information and stuff. Like to me, like the death of commercial radio, people driving their cars and listening to ads, like, you know, like how we got to where we are today. I fucking love it because you can listen to content that you want. Well, you're from Detroit too. And I'm just going to tell you that Detroit is, it was the fifth largest market. I don't know if it is anymore, but here, here's something interesting. Detroit has, um, you're a music nerd. I'm a music nerd. We're fortunate that number one, we had parents that turned us on to it. Oh yeah. And number two, we had men like Arthur Penhollow uh, Ken Calvert, JJ uh, from JJ and the Morning Crew, yeah. when it was on when he was on Wheels, and then he was on CSX. Yeah, Doug Steve Costan, Doug Podell. I have a I have a vendetta against him, but okay. but just because he he put the you know the Hall of Fame was supposed to be in Detroit, and Doug Podell was working in Cleveland at the time and had it moved that or you know and lobbied to have it there. Uh, Otherwise, Detroit would have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is where it belongs, in my opinion. If you look at the yeah. bands that came through Detroit and made it big in Detroit, Jay Giles. You know, that was, that, well, they're, they're from strong, Boston. They're but, from Boston, but yeah. Detroit is where they, you know. All right, bro. Any, any you ready? Hold any on, hold on to your fucking headphones. I was paralyzed one block from where they recorded 
in my opinion, the greatest live album of all time. Cobble Hall? No. Jay oh, Giles. Olympia? No, Jay Giles is Cinderella. Cinderella Ballroom. Yep. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was um, um, Full, Full House. House. My mom was at that concert. Well, I, I listen yeah. to mom scream all the time. As creepy as that fucking sound. <laughs> Detroit breakdown. Yeah, yeah. That dude. And when I tell people, my accident was fucking one block away from there. When I tell people uh, Jay Giles, and they tell me, and and they say, "Oh yeah, I love him," and I'm like, "Which which song?" And they're like, "Centerfold or Freeze Frame." Ah, I'm like, fuck "Go yourself. fuck yourself." Yeah, I was. So my very first concert was at Coba Hall, 1979, Love Stinks tour, Coba Hall, Lower Bowl. Like fourth row up with my mom and dad, and I remember having to take a piss, and my dad being the big long hair that he was, carrying me to the bathroom, <laughs> and the line was out the bathroom, and all the, the it was a long queue, and my dad walked all the way to the front and said, "Get out of my way, my son needs to piss." And I remember him setting me up on the urinal, and me putting my feet on the urinal and pissing, and then fucking and kicking rocks. I That's remember so fucking awesome. It's so visceral. I can remember the floor being sticky. I can mm-hmm. remember the smell of vomit. I can remember the smell of weed, and I remember. Um, so, "Love Stinks" was a song that uh, Peter Wolf wrote about his uh, estranged wife, Faye Dunaway, uh-huh. and uh, when they released all the balloons, right? So that was the first concert. I don't remember who opened for them, but my dad was connected. My parents used to have big parties when we lived in Farmington Hills, and my dad had a really killer sound system. He had this reel to reel, and there's a band from Detroit who you may or may not remember called Seven O Seven. Who was in 707? I don't know, but they all went to Bentley High School in Livonia, and they had a song called I Could Be Good For You. And I'll play the song for you. I can't play it on the podcast because of iTunes, but I'll play it for you before before you leave. When You'll hear two notes of it, and you'll be like, yep, I know that song. Okay. But so the the guy who was their manager was at one of my parents' parties and saw my dad's reel-to-reel, and he brought their original um, studio. studio, What what is it? uh, The original. Well, yeah, but it was – there's something – Something Master. like called Masters, right? So he brought the Masters over, and my dad dubbed all the Masters to send to all the record companies, and they ended up getting signed by Casablanca, which oh, was shit. which was Kiss's uh, was Kiss's label. So, um, in the the one they play on the radio, uh, you can hear it during the um, during the bridge. They shorten it. And they took like uh, a big part of, big part of the song out to make it fit radio format because it was your house. Was a minute minute 50 or something like that. And my dad had the original masters on his reel to reel. And we lost and we don't know where they're at of the, the actual songs. They had two songs. They had one way highway and I could be good for you. They had two records that what came out. Was this? Uh, 79, 80. I was born in 79. That's why, but they split, but you, well, that's why I say you grew up in Detroit. And so I listen, if you go out in the showroom right now, uh-huh. CSX is playing. Yeah. CSX plays in here every day. That's awesome. And so our friends, when we go over and have, our friends Jose and Gail, we have pool parties all the time and eat real well over there. We play Detroit Classic Rock. We play CSX over there because I want to hear that mix because Classic Rock down here is bullshit. Well, uh, who is it that owns um, CSX now? It's not Cox Media. It's um, – I'll think of it. But they just bought – not iHeartRadio? No. They just bought uh, They just bought a Classic Rock station down here. And they've changed their format a little bit. And Dave and Chuck the Freak are on in really? Tampa now. And it's the same company owns. Penis. That, yeah. <laughs> they own that same, they, the same people own the radio station. So what I'm getting I at is know, with man. being music nerds is we're, you know, here's bands you won't hear down here. Uh, Head East, 
We just heard some Head East on the way down here. That's one of my, one of my favorite songs. I have a great Head East story from Sturgis. 2008 Sturgis. We're in the Broken Spoke County line. We're in the VIP area up upstairs, upstairs in the, what you call the mezzanine, right? And there's Latricia was tattooing in the room, and we're partying up there, and there's a band down on the stage, and they start playing Never Been Any Reason. And I'm like, hey, dude, I've never heard anybody cover this song. Yeah, it right? sounds like fucking so, Head East. Yeah, and he gets done. He goes, thank you, we're Head East. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. So later on, I'm standing up by the half pipe out there, and there's the lead singer of Head East in like a white leather, like full leather, leatherette, kind of like onesie. Yeah, just with, like everybody like, wears your winter hair, like Edgar Winterhair, yeah. right? Um, so you, you don't hear them. You don't hear, um, you almost don't hear any of uh, Mark Farner and Grand Funk Railroad unless oh, you wow. hear some kind of wonderful, but none of the good stuff, you know, Dude, Captain. That, those guys got fucked so bad, man. Oh, yeah. Them, you don't hear Jay Giles unless you're hearing Centerfold. You know, you don't hear enough cars down here. Oh, love the cars. It cracks me up how many people fucking think Rick Ocasek was their singer. And that no, like, it was Rick Benjamin Ocas- Orr. Yeah, everybody thinks like you know. Every time they hear a Cars tune, and you know, after Rick Ocasek died, they're like they're playing, you know, whatever, like saying something about Rick Ocasek. I'm like, like you guys had no idea that that's not he didn't. He only sang like fucking two or three songs. And that's why they don't. You know why everybody thinks that? Because he sang everything on uh, Heart uh, Heartbreak. Um, the one with you might think. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the, the last one well, they did. And I, 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 I uh, to be fair, MTV. You know, they they saw Rick's face, that. and you know, was it Heartbreak City? Was the name of that album? I don't remember, but they, they just, they, they saw Rick's face in all the videos and they thought that he was the dude. And, you know, it's like, man, you got to dig a little further, man. Cause. And that's why they quit touring when Benjamin Orr died, because he was a lead singer for most of the good stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the early, early stuff. You don't hear enough Boston down here. You don't hear enough Ted Nugent. You almost never hear Ted Nugent. In Florida? Down yeah. Florida doesn't like the Nuge? Well, they love him, but it's different. It's, uh, you know, it's like, I want to hear man, Stranglehold. I think, I think you might have to, uh. Like, you know, go throw your name in the running for the uh, the afternoon slot over here at the new classic music station down the street. I, I tried getting onto the radio on the 102.5 The Bone down here, and it, yeah. it didn't work. But, you know, I, I don't have it. I'm spread don't thin stop as believing. it is now. Yeah, right? Journey? You don't hear any of the <laughs> good Journey it? shit. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's fucking crazy, man. It's crazy how much we have in common. That's fucking nuts. Yeah, it's very serendipitous. That's funny that you reached out to me. I was like, ah, fuck. Yeah, of course. Yeah, why, 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 not, why wouldn't I want you to come down here? I, I I travel a lot and like have friends like all over the place and like I don't I, you know I don't generally venture out too often. But uh, I don't know, man. Like you said, serendipity, man. There's just something that felt like you know this needed to occur. Uh, the whole weird thing with the guy who bought my bike, you know, looking for a part and calling you and somehow you guys figuring it out. It just uh, I don't know, man. For 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 some reason, the way everything spins and works in this universe. Um, you know, sometimes you just uh, you just have to. Well, uh, your 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 body leads your mind to do things that are right, and today was right. So, cool. You know, well, I, I appreciate was, you doing this. I know this is kind of like a weird thing to people. It, you know, this no, is. No, I just, uh, dude, I, I'm I'm fucking like I'm blown away that somebody you know with your standing in this industry would think that enough of me to come and sit and bullshit with you guys. You know, with guys that are listening to your shit because like you know I don't know it just it blows my mind. Um, it doesn't you know this this part of my life you know that whole custom motorcycle thing and. You know, it just, it was, it was such, you know, a major impact on my life. And I just met the, just, you know, the absolute best people in the world, you know, through that industry. And they're all still here. That's the part that, and that's the part of it. That's why I'm saying like this thing, I'm take me up on the project. I hope you do. It's going to be, it would be fucking rad. Yeah, my mind's still blown. You know what I mean? It would just be the coolest thing ever. And it would, it would, it would put you back in a different space where you'd own it by yourself. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? It would be, you would be in control of that situation again. And it's kind of taking it back. You know yeah, what I mean? We'll it's talk. taking back some power. So we'll talk about that. But it's so funny. Like, I, I don't know. I just, it's just a trip. Like what was funny to me is like, you didn't know nothing about the movie. Oh yeah. It's, can you talk? What is that? Yeah. Is I, so I, I don't even know if I told anybody that I was paralyzed and I got hurt like at work, like in the line of duty. Uh, it was Friday the 13th. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. The whole lucky 13 uh, thing. Irony. Yeah. What, what's cool with post is you can take this part and put it in the beginning. <laughs> no, they'll get, yeah. it'll get fucking, it'll, it'll, it'll bookend it. But, uh, yeah. So, um, okay. It was a Detroit fireman, uh, for, I was on the job for like 11 years and, um, one Friday the 13th, I was only a couple minutes into my shift working at a fire and the whole building collapsed on us. And uh, yeah, seven of us were clobbered, four of us were critically injured. Um, I kind of got it the worst and was paralyzed. So that's how I ended up in this predicament. So at the time that I got hurt, there was this production company that had uh, the summer before filmed a trailer. They were trying to make this movie about the Detroit Fire Department. It was a documentary film. And I saw it and they filmed it at my old firehouse that I, I spent half my career at. In the treatment was fucking spot on because you have all kinds of weirdos that come in and want to video and take pictures and cha- you know fire chasers all that shit. the The quality of their trailer was just so spot on, and the faces of my of my friends that were in it, like the tone, they fucking just mastered the tone. And um, I just I did you know, I gave it like full you know I fully supported it It was fucking awesome like even though I wasn't any part of it I fully supported them making this movie and when uh the trailer came out they were looking for feedback and one of my buddies that was into it he was like yeah do you need to call them and tell them you know like you know or email them and you know let them know what you think so I did obviously they're filmmakers from California and um I was supposed to I had this trip uh, a baby moon if you will planned uh, with my wife to uh, my, my accident was in August I had this baby moon planned for September. And we were going to go fly out to California. And as part of my itinerary, I was going to go hang out with these producers and, you know, go bullshit with them. Right. And, um, well, it turns out, uh, before I had the opportunity to go on that California trip, uh, my accident happened. And then I'm put in this position to where I had the opportunity to cover my story in this movie that they were filming. And without hesitation, I went for it because it's like, the number one reason I want to do this is because nobody will fucking believe I did it because it's nowhere. It's so out of my the realm of my personality right. to be so vulnerable at such a vulnerable time and let all these people in my life. But at the same time, I felt for the sake of the fire service, I had to do it. Um, all these young cocky motherfuckers out there, you know, thinking nothing will ever happen. Just like me. Exactly like me. So I wanted to put myself out there. You know, here I am young fella locked into his career Got a smoking hot wife. Life is fucking solid. Boom. One day, you know, and instead of having my Lieutenant Dan moment, it's my fucking birthright to die on the battlefield and get carried off in a flag draped coffin. No, that doesn't happen. (laughs) I'm incapacitated in a way. And so now I have a voice and I have this voice that I can use. So that's kind of all the things that um, led up to me being in this movie. If you haven't heard of it, it's called Burn. Look it up. Uh, iTunes. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, iTunes, Hulu, Amazon. It's fucking everywhere except Netflix. It was on Netflix for years, but whatever, the contract ran out. But anyway, so uh, it was it was absolutely crazy. It was, it was, I started filming like two months after I got out of the hospital. So I don't know myself and my relationship without this movie 
in it and these, you know, the, the production company of it and being filmed and all this shit. Well, like halfway through filming, Dennis Leary jumps on board as executive producer. And if anybody knows anything about Dennis Leary, he's the fucking godfather of, you know, celebrity endorsement of the fire service. That man has done more for the fire service than I'm sorry, dare I say it, there are fucking union, the IFF, you know, has, has done, um, Dennis to this day, dude, he continues to, uh, just advocate. He has Leary Firefighters Foundation. Um, and a lot of people don't know that, um, again, it's all about the fucking swoop around, the double back. Right. Dennis's first cousin was one of the guys, Jerry Lucy. He was one of the guys that was killed in the Worcester uh, cold storage fire in December of 99. And also like one of his good friends from high school, Tommy Spencer. Um, so that's his connection to the fire service. A lot of people think it came from, you know, 9-11 cause Dennis lives in New York and all that right. shit, which, you know, obviously, but there was a, a, there was a tragedy. He's a Boston guy, isn't he? Yeah. 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 He's uh yeah. His parents are like first generation immigrants. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So when he jumped on, it was like, okay, so maybe this thing's got some momentum. Um, and it just kept growing and growing. Next thing you know, it's premiering at Tribeca. Um, you know, Robert De Niro handpicked it. Uh, to screen there and it just snowballed um, won the audience choice award at the Tribeca Film Festival we thought distribution was a slam dunk no found out it's a little harder than that in the uh, the movie industry and um, so we ended up taking this thing on the road uh, with a MSA mine safety appliance uh, a fire industry you know manufacturer vendor they picked this thing up and they did like a tour with it like around the country and that's what supported it. And it kind of grew and grew and grew to where, you know, it, uh, the filmmakers ultimately distributed themselves and, you know, struck up, they, 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 they struck up a deal with Netflix and iTunes and everybody. And it's, uh, it's one of the largest, um, success stories from a self-financed, uh, you know, or, uh, a, 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 a fight, uh, like Kickstarter campaign type, right. you know, self, self-financed film. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, uh, it, it, it was it was funny. I just assumed you had saw it. So it no, nah, I didn't. This is the first I've heard of it when you mentioned it earlier today. And so, yeah. <clears throat> I here another. I, I can't help but believe that there was a that all this happens for a, like everything. I think everything happens for a reason. Yeah, you're totally. probably you probably have broad enough shoulders to kind of carry that. And you know, it, it, let me that that story doesn't that story doesn't tell itself. Sure. Right? And we've all seen enough of um, fictional stuff on TV about related to it, and we've all, you know, everybody's very aware that there's a that there's a fire department. Yeah. And everybody, you know, like I always kid around and tell my tell my friends and that I told my kids when they were younger, if you're ever in trouble and you're in the city, find either a motorcycle clubhouse and bang on the door until it opens up, or find a fire department and bang on the door till somebody opens it up. Those are the two places that I've always told my girls that that's, those are the two safest places for you in the city. Yeah. That's where somebody's going to help you. Yeah. Like nobody, especially in Detroit, because I knew everybody and everybody in the clubs knew who I was or, you know, peripherally at least. So yeah, especially I just, where you were located. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's where all the DFMC clubs kind of are, you know, yeah. there's 15 or 20 clubs right in like a, you know, two or three mile air, yeah. radius. And I, had a friend at every clubhouse kind of thing. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's wild, man. The whole ride is fucking wild. I'm just happy I'm still here on it. 
And so are no. we. That's what I was saying earlier. You know, you can be as you're allowed to be as mad as you want and throw shit and be pissed and everything. But and, you know, and you're entitled to it. Is what I'm saying. Is however you feel about us, however you feel about it. The, the, the best way I can explain it, dude, like on a, on a daily basis, is it's like um, it's like looking at a wall of TVs, and each TV is playing something different at different levels and volumes. And you know, part of it is life as you knew it. Part of it is you know things you need to get done. Part of it is what's in front of you, and your productivity and what you manage and how, 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 how you live and how you thrive is based on how many of those TVs you can drown out or turn off and focus on one right. thing um, and do that one thing. So I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just thankful for the opportunity every day to get, I live 24 hours at a time, man. And I, and I, 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 I go to sleep every night knowing that if I don't wake up, I know that every person that knows me, that really knows me, mm. like you ever been to them funerals where like, you know, you're like, man, I'm, I'm, he's in a better place. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm like, you're okay with it. Like, yeah. you know, you're not like fucking, you know, sobbing, wailing, you know, out of control. Like how the fuck did this happen? Like when you, you, you know, a brother or sister leaves you that like, you know, you're okay with it. And it makes me feel good every night when I go to bed that everybody that knows me and knows who I truly the fuck am know that like, if I don't wake up in the morning, they know I did everything I could. You know, that like I wasn't. Yeah, you gave that you gave it 110. Yeah, yeah, I didn't fucking I didn't sit around and complain and whine and bitch and, and you know, and, and that like, no, dude, I have 100 percent of my day every day goes to living. And, you know, I'm sorry that it doesn't include more people. I'm sorry that like, you know, in order for me to, you know, live a productive life and be a dad and be who I am, that, you know, it doesn't involve, you know, I, I can't allocate my time to the people that I used to. But at the same time, you know. I know those people respect what I'm doing and I'm just going to keep moving forward. You know, I appreciate you doing this. Yeah, no, I, I guess I, I can't, I can't thank you enough for having me. This is fucking awesome, man. Cool, man. Good, good way to round out the day. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, this is where we're going to hop off. So, uh, I'll do all of my other stuff and post edit. <laughs> yeah. Grip them and rip them. <laughs> Thanks, dude. You have been listening to the Hell on Wheels podcast with your host, Jason Holman. Thank you for listening.